Hello, it's 5th of January 2020 and this is episode 128 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis and commentary with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the series. And how has your week slash Christmas in Star Wars been, Rachel? <laughs> Complicated, <laughs> Kirsty. Complicated is the answer. I know, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> there's so much to say. I already feel like I've changed so much as a human being since we last recorded. That's <laughs> obviously the point of no return. <laughs> Possible. Yeah, no, like that's an obviously an exaggeration, but. Yeah, you can see, like, just by being on Twitter and being on Tumblr, there's just been all these fundamental shifts and evolutions in fandom, like Star Wars fandom, and it's been quite seismic, and it's all just a lot to deal with. And I had a lovely Christmas with my family, thank you. Um, but yeah, there wasn't much Star Wars in that. I did go to see Star Wars with my dad, because that's a tradition I intended to keep up come what may, and he really liked it, so good for him. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that sounds really bitchy and catty. No, you want people to like it. I wish I liked it more. You know? Yeah, no, exactly. And and I was really pleased that he enjoyed it so much, you know. And yeah, I, I got entertainment value from him thinking that Rain Kylo were brother and sister and Ugh. being a bit confused by the fact they kissed and <laughs> just like shaking my head. Although actually, a, a good point to him is that he did notice that when Rey is healing Kylo, he noticed that Kylo's scar vanished from his mm. face. Which yeah. is really observant because I feel like a dumbass and I know it happens, but I've seen the movie five times <laughs> and each time I always manage to miss it. I think because I'm paying so much attention to Adam Driver's facial acting and his expressions, I'm not paying attention mm-hmm. to what's happening with the scar. You just notice it later maybe when you see him as Ben Solo? Yeah, like at that point, I just take it for granted that it's Ben Solo, so I almost forget that he, Kylo even had a scar, really. Okay. Um, and yeah, the movie like often makes me just like suspend all other knowledge because if you think too hard about everything else that's happened in Star Wars, it becomes harder to process the movie. This movie doesn't care about continuity, so why should we? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But yeah, how about you, Kirsty? How have you been holding up these last few weeks? And did you have a nice Christmas? I did have a good Christmas. Um, good. And it was very Star Wars heavy because I, I saw the movie twice um, and I finished The Mandalorian too. So we'll get to talking about that either next week or the week after mm-hmm. um, whenever we get some breathing space. Um, and yeah, just, just thinking about this movie a lot because it is the end of the sequel trilogy. So just kind of processing that. This is a an era of Star Wars that we've been hugely invested in. Um, yeah. And now it's over. So just kind of dealing with that and figuring out how I feel about each of the films and reading kind of the post-release interviews from various people, trying to make sense of things that seemed a little confusing to me um, and not necessarily finding any closure in terms of (laughs) the explanations given. But yeah, just also just trying to make my peace with that because... Um, if anyone who listened to our last episode, I did get quite upset. Um, I was talking about how when I was actually watching the movie, I felt quite numb for some reason. Um, none of the choices were really affecting me emotionally for some reason. Like just the way, maybe it's the pacing or something like that, but nothing was really landing for me. And then later on, some of the choices were really kind of sinking in. Choices mm. that I really didn't agree with. And yeah, um, yeah that that got a bit much for me 
but I've had a lot of messages from people who said they felt the same so it was kind of nice to hear someone else going through the same thing and kind of wrestling with those ideas um and I think I'm never gonna love this movie um there are just some things that are too big for me that I just don't agree with I don't think that there were right choices for some of the characters um but there are parts of it that I enjoy and I'm trying to focus on those um but we're also going to be kind of honest about how we feel about each of these different things so yeah I will say because I I'm sure that we do have some regular listeners who really loved this movie if you did I'm really happy for you I really wanted to love it I've seen a lot of tweets from people who were like, oh, well, if no one, if people don't like this movie, it's because they didn't want to, or they're trying to pick out the things that they're trying to be nitpicky, you know? And it's like, you have no idea how much I wanted to love this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I was so ready to fall in love with The Rise of Skywalker and it just didn't happen. So um, if you really loved this movie and you don't want that ruined for you, because there is some negativity, you know? Like, and just maybe don't listen to this episode. We don't want to ruin it for anyone. So, Yeah, exactly. Because what I'll say about the discussion that we're going to go on to have about The Rise of Skywalker is we're going to be really honest. So that means we're going to be honest about the things that we didn't like and didn't feel worked as well as they should have. And we're also going to be honest about the stuff we did like. Because there are really good moments and scenes and bits of acting and imagery and stuff in this. And yeah, we're going to give praise where it's due, essentially. And it's also important to remember that Kirsty and I will have different takes on things and different perspectives and interpretations sometimes. And yeah, but we're still cool with each other, basically. <laughs> so if we disagree, it's always going to be a friendly disagreement because yeah, like it's just a movie at the end of the day and everyone has a different take on it. And I'll be completely honest and say that since we recorded the reaction episode, I've seen it a few more times. And unfortunately for me, my feelings about the movie, they are getting more negative. Like I do see more flaws each time I watch it, which is really sad. You know, it's again, like Kirsty said, nobody wanted to love this movie more than I think we did. You know, and I don't mean that as, as in us as two unique individuals. I mean, like us as terms of like the members of this group, you know, like the shipping community, the radio community, because we have been some of the biggest advocates for the sequel trilogy and for these new characters and their stories, you know, and no one was more excited to see the resolution of their stories, I think, than we were, you know, to in some ways. And yeah, it's sad that people are so disappointed and it's sad that the movie doesn't hold together as well as it might have. But yeah, it's also valuable to talk about it, I think. So I don't want to bury my head in the sand and just move on like nothing happened. Because for better and for worse, The Rise of Skywalker is episode nine of Star Wars. And it's always going to be there. You know, I don't see Disney declaring it non-canon, (laughs) you know, and like remaking it or like there being a... Yeah, it's just not going to happen, basically. (laughs) And we need to accept it and we need to consider how we can essentially come to terms with it and what the story is now and basically figure out where this fandom goes next. So... Yeah, we're going to have a frank discussion, but hopefully it will be enjoyable and interesting and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think we're going to aim to go through this pretty much scene by scene, or at least in a vaguely chronological sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. 
when The Last Jedi came out, we had so many different episodes focusing on the different character arcs and the themes of that movie, at least the ones that we interpreted and found meaning in. Um, but we thought for this movie, for our first kind of bigger discussion about it, kind of going through it in terms of the actual story that's being told might be most valuable. Um, and we'll try to make connections where they are, because obviously there are things that are kind of put in there and don't get any payoff, but there are things that are clearly like, you know, being used to foreshadow things and yeah. stuff like that. So we'll try and pick those out as we, as they occur to us. Of course. Yep. And also, just so people are aware, we're not going to be doing any news or anything like that in this episode, just because it's uh, we're going to talk about the whole movie and there's so much to say that, yeah, we don't want to distract, basically, from the discussion of The Rise of Skywalker by talking about all the various interviews and rumours and stuff that are out there. So there's a hell of a lot to cover and catch up on because, yeah. yeah, we haven't done news in several weeks now, but we will get there, just not right now. Yeah, there's a lot of discussion going on in terms of you know all the conspiracy theories and the idea of there being a secret cut and um, you just based on what the creators like Chris Terrio, Marianne Brandon, the editor, have been saying in interviews, you kind of get the impression that they know it's not the best film ever. Yeah, um, which is a shame because I'm sure people worked really hard on this. Um, but yeah, there's just that's just the vibe I'm getting. So it will be yeah. interesting to kind of see what the narrative around this movie is long term. Because thinking back to when the Last Jedi came out, um, especially people like Kathleen Kennedy were really out there talking about how proud they were of this work, and I'm just not seeing the same level of enthusiasm around the Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Um. So I do wonder how people at Lucasfilm are feeling about it all yeah no it's very interesting and yeah it's gonna be an evolving picture i think so i imagine people will say more and more and get franker and franker as time goes by in terms of what they are willing to say about it we've already seen very interesting reactions from john Biega on twitter that we will not go into at all yeah. in this yeah, episode it's best not but, to go there yeah <laughs> um but yeah i think we're gonna see the cast asked about this movie we're gonna see jj asked about this movie we're gonna see chris terrio asked about this movie and we will pay attention, essentially, and report back in due course on what they come out with. But now's not the time. Now is the time for our personal responses to this movie and our, I'll say, preliminary analyses of what's going on with it and stuff. Because it's still very fresh, you know, mm -hmm. and it's still something that we're getting used to and digesting. And yeah, it'll take a while. Right, okay, so to begin this, let's start at the very beginning, which is with the opening crawl. And my main thought when watching the movie today is that that opening line, the dead speak, it's kind of appropriate because this whole movie is very morbid and very <laughs> obsessed with death. And again, like I don't know how conscious an intention that was on the part of the filmmakers, but yeah, it sets a vibe, and the movie does stick to that vibe to an extent, so it was consistent <laughs> in that way. Yeah, I actually like the creepy pulpiness of that line. Yeah, same. Uh, with the exclamation point and everything. Um, but in terms of the crawl overall, I feel like it was a... Like, crawls are difficult, because it's like, hey, the, the goal is to get the, the, the audience up to speed, 
Um, so we get the sense that there's been some time passed since The Last Jedi. But this is where, obviously, we had it in the trailers and stuff as well. But really, this is like, oh, Palpatine's back. Uh, <laughs> which is almost like, couldn't this information have been part of the movie itself? Yeah. It's a pretty huge deal. And nothing's explained. It's just, he's back and he's trying to let everyone know. <laughs> Emperor Palpatine has launched a podcast. Yeah. And it doesn't even fit in with what's shown in the story because it says that he's been broadcasting across the galaxy, which makes it sound like everyone would be able to hear it. But then we have the whole thing with the Resistance needing to get the information from the mysterious First Order spy. So how come the First Order have heard it, but the Resistance haven't? Because you'd think that Palpatine would want the Resistance to know. Yeah. It's like, I'm back, baby! <laughs> <laughs> I've just been um, hanging out here for 30 years. I don't know. Hanging out on the creepy, chilling place of Exegol. Woo! Yeah. Oh my god. Like, it is really dumb. To an extent, I enjoy the whole, all of the dumb Palpatine stuff because I do love Ian McDermott. Oh, and same. I think he's really fun in this movie. Yeah, I think he did a great job. Yeah, and his lovely voice and the fact that he just loves being evil and he's got no pretensions about it. He just is evil and he's loving it. I think, well, that's wonderful and I can enjoy that, you know, on some level. It's just a bit silly and not necessarily the good kind of silly. And it's just also, as you said, Kirsty, it's kind of like redundant to say in the crawl that he's back and then later on have a scene where they decode the message from the spy and it's like, Emperor Palpatine has returned. <laughs> and it's like, it would be better and more organic if you just change the opening crawl to better reflect the fact that there's murmurs that a dark presence has returned to haunt the galaxy or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Don't yet confirm that it's Palpatine. Yeah, even though they'd already revealed that to us. Exactly. And it's just frustrating because in some ways there are fundamental problems of the movie that would be difficult to resolve without a big overhaul. But there are plenty of things where just small changes and amendments would make a big difference and make things flow a lot better. And... Yeah, I keep saying this, but I really am looking forward to fan edits of this movie because I think there is quite a lot of raw material there that if you were smart and took it back and took it apart and then tried to put it back together again, you could create something a bit better. Not radically better, but still better. Okay, cool. So then we progress to the opening with Kylo on Mustafar. It's not confirmed to be Mustafar in the movie itself because... There's no dialogue there or anything, and it's a very fleeting montage, but it is Mustafar. And yeah, like I really love Adam's physicality in the fight scene here. I think he looks totally savage and badass. And I do think they're going for something really nice and beautiful in showing that contrast between the savagery and like chaos of Kylo Ren's life at the start of the film and then the peace and serenity that he achieves by the end of it and I do think there's a beautiful contrast in there and I like that that's one of the contrasts in the movie that I think works well even though yeah I wish he hadn't died (laughs) but we'll get to that (laughs) yeah I do think it was a conscious choice to have like the red scenery of Mustafar versus kind of like the blue tones of Ben Solo with the saber on Exegol yeah um I just think in in terms of like how this opening 
is presented it's a little strange because you get the sense that like it's presented like a little bit of a montage and yeah. it's slow motion and there's no dialogue and you're just kind of thrown in there but you get the sense that it was actually originally part of a wider sequence that had more of a narrative to it i think we know that's the case because there's deleted stuff with um hux and pride on that planet oh i didn't know that there's even a line from Hux in the Visual Dictionary where he says, He's gone mad. Flames of the rebellion burn across the galaxy and Wren chases a ghost. You know, and that's such a cool line. And that sort of line would have really helped in terms of setting up where Kylo Ren is. I think it's clear to see what they've done because they've basically moved that bit of explanation to the opening crawl. But I think it would have been more effective and serve more character function to actually have Hux saying it because then that does seed things like Hux's like hatred of Kylo Ren and stuff which obviously becomes important when we learn that he's the spy um yeah later on yeah do you think there's so much missing here obviously they've chosen to cut it out presumably for time reasons but when you look at the visual dictionary, they're telling you that he's on Mustafar. He's supposedly in the ruins of his grandfather's castle. The people that he's cutting down are Vader cultists, so they were devoted to the memory of his grandfather. So that's all important character information that he's going against these people in terms of trying to find this Wayfinder to then get yeah. to Palpatine. Like, that's what matters to him now. But it's all... It's not there. So... yeah. So it, that kind of sets the tone for the movie for me in terms of there being lots of things that are kind of taken out of context and then as a result, they lose a lot of their meaning. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it looks cool, but I don't know what I'm supposed to take away from this. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like it's unusual to be plunged right into an action scene like that as well. And I think even in the edit, you can tell that it's not how it was intended to be presented. Because the first shot of the movie after the opening crawl is of TIE fighters flying towards the Star Destroyer above the planet. And it's like, well then surely, logically, you'd expect the next scene to be on board the Star Destroyer because you're Mm -hmm. following the ships going towards it. But no, we cut to Mustafar. And presumably that's because it was a decision made quite late, probably to save time. And they didn't have a better in-space shot to use so they use that one and yeah it's just that sort of sloppiness i think that betrays the fact that they just ran out of time yeah pretty much it it makes things hard to follow because it doesn't feel like you say it's not like the natural shot that it would accompany something like that in the narrative yeah so you're constantly being like wait what what is that what i'm following what what's going on um, it doesn't need to be that way because at its core it's a pretty simple story of you know following these MacGuffins, getting to a place and you know obviously echoes of return of the jedi so we've seen this story before but it's like needlessly complicated in a way that um doesn't improve it it just kind of confuses things yep exactly so then we obviously have kylo use the wayfinder which is a word that we are both going to come to come to detest because we're going to use it lots of times it's not a holocron it's a wayfinder They really do, like, talk down to the audience a lot in this movie. It's like, people would be able to cope. People would be able to cope, I promise you, if you just said it's a thingy with a map in it. (laughs) They call them holocrons at Galaxy's Edge. So if for nothing else, you would think that they would want to tie it in there for marketing purposes. Exactly. It's not too big a leap to assume that people could figure it out. But whatever, it's a Wayfinder. Um, So Kylie uses the Wayfinder to travel to Exegol, 
Um, and there he like goes underneath this inverted pyramid, which is an interesting design choice. So I know you don't like it as much as I do, Kirsty, but I quite like the aesthetic of Exegol with all the darkness and the lightning and stuff. I think it's quite cool. Um, and he goes underground and there's all these statues and then he finds Palpatine. I think some of the set design does work for me in terms of like those giant statues, um, the shape of the structure, as you say um the the initial like him arriving there and the lightning moving away from his ship and then igniting his saber i think all of that looks good yeah but as a whole considering how much time we spend on exegol um i can't see shit so <laughs> it's very dark <laughs> it's very safe to say so i get it it's dark it's creepy palpatine's there this is an evil place but in yes. terms of like actually being able to like make sense of things and follow what's going on and maybe that's intentional yeah like a lot of this movie didn't look great to be honest it wasn't filmed as well as either the force awakens or the last jedi and honestly watching this movie made me appreciate even more exactly how beautiful the last jedi is and how like much all the colors pop and everything and i do feel like with different creative forces behind the movie you could take the basic concept of a place like Exegol, it's really dark and there's this arena with a bunch of ambiguously real Sith people and there's all these big statues and there's an inverted pyramid blah blah blah, I think you could take the general concept of Exegol and make it look really awesome and cinematic I do think a lot of the time it does get a bit lost because it's just all this dark vagueness but yeah I think it probably comes down to like photography decisions and directorial decisions as much as the concept of the planet yeah i see what they're going for with it being a dark murky underworld and the scary lightning um like flashing on palpatine's face but yes it is disappointing when compared with like other beautiful locations in the sequel trilogy because i think the force awakens and the last jedi did an amazing job with how stunning everything looked yeah Um, and i just don't think this movie lives up to that yeah, no, definitely not. Nothing's as nice. I do think Pisana's really beautiful because I love the contrast between the desert and the clothes that the locals wear. I think that's quite striking. Mm. But I feel like that's as close as this movie gets to like the visual stuff going on in the other movies. Yeah. Um, in terms of the sequence of Kylo going down, <laughs> going down the lift, I do feel like... Did you see the, the TV spot? where they showed kind of all that stuff with the voices and everything i did and i loved the tv spot i thought it was so effective in the tv spot and yeah it's just disappointing because then you watch the movie and you realize that's basically it there's no follow-up <laughs> yeah um yeah because that really dropped a bomb in terms of oh my gosh palpatine has been impersonating all of these people right yeah um or at least like that's the sense that you got from that because we had we had no idea about the snokes and jars and stuff like that, at that point. <laughs> um but yeah because they'd already shown it and i'm sure a lot of people watching the movie hadn't seen the tv spot so it's probably fine but i i think it did work better there for me for some reason yeah and, um this is just you can't really overstate how huge of a reveal palpatine is dropping right here and yet it's not really received that way yeah Um, it's the sort of thing you'd want to see some emotional processing from kylo where he reacts to that information and he just doesn't 
And like in the moment, it makes sense that he wouldn't because he has bigger fish to fry and that he's having a conversation with Palpatine. But just like this is frustrating again, like so much is frustrating because we get the scene where he's sort of in communion with the Vader helmet later on and he and Ray have their sort of mutual vision. Just something added onto that, you know, to give him a moment of reflection and like, holy shit, I've been manipulated my whole life. You know, that's yeah. all that was needed and it just wasn't there. Yeah. If I'm being really generous with my reading of it, it's when he goes to the helmet later, he's like checking whether it really was Vader or if it was Palpatine talking to him all the yeah. time. I think that might have been what they were going for. But like you say, you have to be really generous to read not... that into it. Yeah, that's not where the scene goes because he doesn't say anything. And it's not actually about Vader. It's about him and Rey connecting again. Yeah. And then flashing through all of the former events of the sequel trilogy. Um, so in terms of like the Palpatine stuff again, it's it almost makes me wonder if the voices and that idea was added in later. Because mm. as we said, there's no reaction from Ben here. And this would be absolutely earth shattering that his entire life, all these people his grandfather his mentor snoke it wasn't actually them it was palpatine orchestrating everything yeah and in terms of the actual character arc obviously throughout this film he goes through a redemption you'd think that a reveal like this would kind of speed that up a little bit because if the audience takes us at face value it's that oh ben solo has been manipulated his entire life yeah. Palpatine has been here from the beginning orchestrating everything. This boy never really stood a chance. Yeah. So you'd think that would speed things up a little and have him questioning things earlier on. And I do think he's questioning things in terms of he. it seems like he goes away from this interaction with Palpatine being like, yeah, I'm going to kill Rey because I want this fleet. But of course he has no intention of doing that. Yes. Um, but it's not I don't know, it just doesn't quite all come together for me <laughs> yeah no it doesn't come together at all it's not just you Kirsty. Okay. and i think it's just another one of those things where i almost wish it just hadn't been there to be honest yeah. because I, I i like it objectively because it's validating you know it's something that a lot of people had suspected about he's not really hearing vader's voice you know, it's some sort of manipulation. We obviously weren't thinking it was Palpatine because at the time people were theorising about this. No one knew Palpatine was coming back. We were thinking it was Snoke, but it turns out that Snoke also was Palpatine. So Yeah, and like, so it's validating in that way, but because it just doesn't really serve any meaningful narrative function in the context of this movie, I would have it would have been cleaner not to have it at all. Yeah. And it's a shame because, again, like if they'd actually followed through on it and realised the importance of something like this, you could have sped up the redemption and had a redeemed Ben Solo for a larger portion of the movie. Yeah. And there's so much potential there in terms of him awkwardly having to interact with the trio. And... <laughs> yeah, because Ben Solo is awesome. <laughs> he is. Um, and I think most people came away from the, the movie surprised at how much they gravitated towards redeemed Ben Solo. Even if they hadn't liked Kylo Ren, it was like such a marked change. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, let's also talk about the Snokes in Jars. Because <laughs> that has produced some of my favourite memes from this movie. I, can't I must say. believe it. <laughs> it's so dumb. <laughs> it's like almost that level of dumbness where it does just transcend the 
frustrating stuff in this movie, of which there is a lot, and I actually kind of come back around to loving it because it's so stupid. But it's also, yeah, you shouldn't be thinking, oh, how stupid when you're watching a Star Wars movie, but it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's obviously it's very Alan Dean Foster esque. <laughs> I bet he punched the air like Richard E. Grant when he saw that. It's <laughs> like, oh my god, it's happening! It's really happening! Yeah, it's a lot to take in, and again, I feel like it was kind of just put there because it was something cool. Um, I was reading an interview with Marianne Brandon, the editor, who also worked with JJ on The Force Awakens, and she was asked by the Huffington Post about the Snokes. And she said, I just think that came up as a visual effect that we thought would be really fun for an audience to create a visual that would tell that whole story. I believe that's successful. We didn't have to change a lot of dialogue. You just see one shot and you kind of get it. I love stuff like that. We can just have a moment where you just see something in the background and you go, okay, I totally get that. Which I get the point about it being a cool visual, but in terms of the implications for how things work now in Star Wars canon and who Snoke was as a character. It's not good enough, Marianne. It's not good enough. I know it's just a movie, so it's like, whatever. Yeah. But if we're going to like actually take things at face value and what they might mean for the future of this universe and this coherent storytelling, it's like Palpatine is capable of cloning Force users and then just sending them out into the world and them living these lives that presumably they think are full, they, they have free will and that they're sentient and I'm trying to work out how Snoke was a person yeah. and if he was aware of Palpatine being alive because according to the last Jedi novelization Snoke did not think that Palpatine was alive because we yeah. have that internal monologue that Jason Fry wrote and Snoke thinks that Palpatine is very much dead and he is his successor so yeah. just trying to kind of reconcile all of this in my mind. It sort he... of, like, it answers one question, because obviously every, like, fanboy and YouTube blogger was asking, where did Snoke come from? Where did Snoke come from? What's his origin? We have an answer to that, but we now have, like, 50 other questions. And, yeah, it's not... Yeah, just don't do it, Chief. Just don't go there. But they did go there, so, yeah. Yeah. I know. I was thinking maybe a simple way to get around this, if they just wanted the cool visual and they wanted a quick way of kind of not fully explaining it, but kind of hinting at how Palpatine came back, couldn't they have just had a jar of Palpatines? Yeah, that would have been better and more relevant to the story because Snoke does jack shit in this film. He's really not relevant. <laughs> He's not relevant and I kind of feel bad for Ryan and even Andy Serkis because there's no way that he knew this stuff about his character when he was playing him. It kind of just undermines a lot of the choices that have been made through the sequel trilogy so far. Yeah. And um, I was reading, I haven't got the visual dictionary, but I've been seeing snippets online. And even the stuff that kind of addresses The Last Jedi in terms of like the throne room scene and Kylo cutting down his master, it's now presented in the context of The Rise of Skywalker as like a test from Palpatine and the Sith cultists. So it was all orchestrated. So instead of being Kylo fully in control and making that choice for himself to choose Rey over Snoke, it's, oh, well, that was just a test and it's just the next step of you becoming Emperor. Yeah. <laughs> it's Wait. so weird. Yeah, which is shitty and disappointing. <laughs> I'm just having to compartmentalise it so that it doesn't impact my enjoyment of The Last Jedi. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. You can't watch The Last Jedi and think, oh, he, the, here we go, there's Palpatine, Palpatine Snoke. Oh. Yeah, it just cheapens all of that. Yeah. And it also raises these like huge contradictions because like in The Last Jedi, for example, we obviously have Snoke knowing about this connection between Rey and Kylo uh-huh. and being like, it was I who bridged your minds. Whereas in Rise of Skywalker, Palpatine's completely blindsided by it. It's like, oh, <laughs> oh a dyad. Oh. <laughs> oh, yes. Nice, nice. Come here, young, sexy people. Ooh. Yeah, that confused me the first time I watched it because I thought that when Kylo later reveals to Rey that they're a dyad, I thought that Palpatine must have told him that off screen. Right. But I think there's a missing piece here. Mm. There were some leaks that came out that pretty much gave away the entire movie a long time ago. Um, and there was a scene described there that didn't make it into the final cut of the movie where there was another character called the Oracle. Mm, yep. And Kylo was supposedly going to go and meet them and they would talk about him and Rey. And I'm wondering if that was where he discovered that they were a dyad. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, you're right. It's still odd that Palpatine doesn't know that because apparently he created Snoke and Snoke knows about it and potentially even created the connection between them. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> it's also weird. <laughs> this bloody movie. Yeah. yeah. Like I do like the diet thing, like to a certain extent, and it's something I want to talk about more. Probably not completely in this episode because this episode's gonna be really long. Um but yeah, we'll come to that. Um Okay, cool. So I think we've already said a lot about the well, opening. The other part mm-hmm. Is there it, anything else? like well, Palpatine himself when he's talking about oh, oh, oh he raises the Sith fleet out of the ice or whatever it is oh god i hate that shot so much that's like one of my most hated shots in the whole movie because just spatially it's like what the fuck what the kylo hell is going on kylo wouldn't be able to see it yeah exactly <laughs> kylo would just be building. like awkwardly looking around being like what are you doing guess i'll take your word for it there's an entire Sith fleet outside um yeah again it seems like a shot that was filmed for, like in a different context and then they've just kind of spliced in here doesn't yeah quite work or make narrative sense for them to be showing that at that point but yeah it's like okay i have this giant fleet i created the first order because i created snoke but also i have the final order and that is better so why don't you want that uh, i'll give you it as long as you kill ray yeah and then he's like oh she's not who you think she is and of course at that point it's like oh she's gonna be related to palpatine <laughs> yeah I do like um, Ian McDermott's like awful smile at that point he gives like this great evil laugh Um, it's pretty scary it is he's a creepy creepy dude Um, and yeah I also think they missed an opportunity when it came to the editing I thought this watching it today because there's such an obvious edit to make from Kylo and Palpatine having a conversation about Rey to cut into Ray meditating. In my you know, mind, that I... that's what's happening because it makes, like you say, that's what the natural fit would be. But is it not? What happens next? Um, no, it's some um, Finn and Poe. Yeah, yeah. In my mind, the edit goes like they're cutting to Ray and she's doing the whole "be with me" thing. See, you're already improving the movie in your mind, Kirsty. <laughs> Just what is this? <laughs> oh my god! I'm trying to be level-headed about it, but there are such. It's not our movie, so we just kind of have to accept it. But there's little things like that that I'm like, that would have been the natural way to do it. And I know 
The Force Awakens is full of amazing cuts like that. So I know that JJ is capable of that. Yeah. Again, like that sort of thing, I can only attribute the lack of time to it. But yeah, it seems like a relatively straightforward thing to do. So who knows? I, I don't know much about film production and stuff, you know, and make getting things done on time and stuff. But yeah, it's just a missed opportunity. A nice basic one. <sighs> okay. Yeah, it's just, again, it's about thinking things through and in terms of like the the long-term implications of the story that you're telling because you know coming back to the Snokes and Jars stuff I'm sorry I know I should let it go no worries it's fine do it I really do you know I think it's the beginning of a movie that kind of is a disaster for every single character's agency Mm. Um, and also what's to stop Palpatine reviving himself infinitely that's the thing like he's like oh the dark side of the force you know he echoes that line from Revenge of the Sith and that's kind of the most explanation we get for why he's back yeah I've died before it's like okay so if they're gonna kill you what's the weight of that because there's no guarantee that you wouldn't just come again yeah exactly and there's bound to be some other Sith cultist lurking somewhere to like bottle up Palpatine's essence in a wine bottle or something you know it just makes it all feel kind of arbitrary and weightless and yeah it kind of like kills the stakes a lot of it because yeah things just aren't given the care and the thought that you'd hope for and expect and yeah it's just a shame okay cool so then let's move on so the next sequence is about Finn, Poe and Chewie on a mission to liaise with a contact who has heard from a spy in the First Order. Who could that be? <laughs> um, and yeah, so basically we get some banter, we get them meeting the contact, and then we get them evading the First Order through something called light speed skipping. So yeah, what did you make of this return to those characters, Kirsty? Um, it was nice to see them again. I was looking forward to seeing these characters. Yeah. Um, it was immediately clear that this was kind of part of what they'd been talking about in the interviews early on as they were making the movie that um, they'd been kind of encouraged to improvise a lot on set. Yeah. Um, these kind of bantery exchanges between John and Oscar. And I'm thinking of them as John and Oscar rather than the characters because when they do this, it does feel more like the actors talking to each other rather than the characters themselves. Yeah, I feel like improvisation is fine if it is just like the occasional line or a response to something, you know, but here there are like whole exchanges where you can tell this basically ad-libbing and yeah, a lot of the time it just feels a bit too protracted and it goes on a bit too long and yeah, it's just not quite judged right. So there are nice moments, you know, and I do enjoy the relationship between Finn and Poe. But it just felt a bit too, I don't know, try hard. You know, it's like they were conscious that people loved the relationship between these characters. And so they wanted to provide people with more of what they loved. But I feel like sometimes that's not the right move because people often don't know what they actually want, you know, until they see it. And I feel like if there were a stronger handle on the story they wanted to tell and the themes they wanted to convey and the relationships they wanted to build up then they wouldn't have even needed to get people to improvise, you know? But mm. yeah, it's just a bit of a shame. But yeah. I do like seeing them again. And I especially like the um, hollow match at the beginning with the chess. And I like the suggestion that um, Chewie's so good at the game because he's so old. I like that. That makes sense. Um, so yeah, there are things to enjoy. It's just, yeah, some parts of it don't completely play out as I'd like them to. 
Yeah, I think is that it didn't really succeed in making me more invested in their relationship. Yeah. Because there weren't ever really any stakes in terms of these like bantery, jokey exchanges. Like they're fun and cute, but if that's all there is, I think the most we get between these two is later on when they're on the the moon and mm-hmm. um, again, it's an exchange that feels not scripted when um, Poe's saying, I'm not Leia, and Finn says, ain't that the damn truth, or something like that. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's an interesting idea, and then you don't really go anywhere with it, they just walk away from each other. Yeah. And then that's kind of the most, in terms of serious exchanges we get between these characters, and uh, the rest of it is a lot of like the, oh, what were you going to say? And, oh, you can't say it in front of me, and that kind of thing that runs along without payoff. Yeah. Um. It's not like I dislike their interactions. They're very cute together. It's just there was so much other stuff and a lot of stuff that fans are kind of theorizing in terms of what we're going to crop up as like the conflict between these characters, kind of propel their arcs and make them closer overall throughout the story. And none of it really came to fruition. Yeah, because for me, a big issue like with that whole dynamic between Finn, Poe and Rey is they do have all those conflicts between them, but then those conflicts aren't resolved. Like, so that's especially the case of all the stuff with Rey and how she interacts with Finn and Poe. So we'll go into that more later where it actually comes up. But yeah, you just get the sense that they were building towards something and wanted there to be some sort of resolution or catharsis in terms of their relationships. But then they forgot to include the resolution slash catharsis. And... Yeah, it's just another one of the oddities of this movie, basically. It's quite fascinating, really, when you think about, well, if you just added in this, and yeah, then it would just feel better. And yeah, as it is, it just feels incomplete, oddly. And yeah, it's kind of hard to explain. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the most damning thing for me in terms of watching the trio is realising that they're at their most interesting when each of them is off doing something else with a different character. Yeah, it's true. Um... Maybe yeah. that's the point, but then you come back to them all together at the end when they're celebrating and things just haven't really moved on. Yeah. But, you know, it's what it is. Uh, in terms of this week sequence here with them on the Falcon, um, you do get like little hints of things like um, Poe saying, oh yeah, well, Ray's not here, is she? Um, that's an example of kind of one of those things that doesn't really go anywhere in terms of when they get back to the base. Poe's like, oh, well, we need you out there. Um, and Finn agreeing with him. But again, it's just kind of, it's there and then it's dropped. Yeah. Um, but this sequence, wow. Uh, I am not great at following action sequences, especially the first time I watch a movie. But yes. this in particular was like, what is going on? I can't, I can't process this. That was my first major, like, slow the fuck down <laughs> moment. Because I was just like, oh my god, guys, it's just too much. Yeah. You know, especially after you have this really, like, packed sequence with Kylo, you know, where first of all, this is the montage with Kylo fighting on Mustafar. And then there's all this, like, heavy, big information that Kylo's getting from Palpatine. And then you're instantly flung into this, like, high speed, high octane chase scene. And the editing is so fast and so choppy that you can barely follow what's going on. And you almost have, like, speed sickness or something. You know, it's, yeah, too much. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of striking imagery here. Like there's that shot that again we got in a trailer, but like the ties coming towards the glaciers and them being chased and everything, and it does kind of echo back to Finn and Ray on the Falcon in the Force mm-hmm. Awakens, which is quite fun. And you can see the change in Finn as the Gunner; he's a lot more confident here. Um, you can see that on F- John's face. Um, you can see it in just the body language and the way he's kind of responding to Poe, like they've been doing this for a while. So I think that's what they were going for, but in terms of how everything is put together, uh, it's just, for whatever reason, it's kind of hard for my brain to process in the moment. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and this was just kind of my first indication, aside from all the Palpatine stuff, that there was going to be a lot of movie in this movie. Yeah, yeah. You get lots of quantity. (laughs) I think I said it last, last time we recorded, it felt like I was just watching a really long trailer, because there's lots of impressive shots spliced together. Mm. And it's got that quick pace. But a movie has to have those ups and downs so that you can catch your breath and process what you were just shown and have that contrast with the slow moments. And there's just not enough of those here. Yeah, exactly. Just needs to be more, like, calm down. I quite like Bulio, things. Yeah, I like Bulio. And like I did also like my main man, Claude, for the <laughs> little snatches we got of him. Because obviously... <laughs> There was a lot of Claude hype going into this movie, so if Claude I needed anything to like hold up for me, it was Claude. Um, I, I feel like he delivered as much <laughs> as an extra can deliver. He delivered. He delivered despite not having any arms. And uh, <laughs> I do want talk- to see these supposed mechanical skills I that know, Claude right? has. It's <laughs> this oh like little God. tentacle just appear from nowhere and yeah. Exactly. You see, that's the sort of dumb shit I actually like because yeah, that's very Star Wars, you know, like a slug mechanic is like, of course, this is what, what I'm here for. Yeah. Um, although there is one absolutely horrendous shot in the cockpit of them like reacting to something and Claude is screaming in the background. <laughs> and it's like the worst visual effect in the movie. It's like uncanny valley to the extent it's something like things in cats you know it's like oh that's grotesque keep it away from me um but yeah besides that claude is great i love claude (laughs) (laughs) yeah claude came out of this movie looking good so it's all good and i i think someone got to hug claude as well at the end of the movie i think it might have been dominic monaghan's yeah i think it was yeah yeah Um, so he's winning at life basically yeah so yeah bulio is voiced by mark hamill Yes, um, and he's quite a cool character. He meets a sorry fate quite quickly, unfortunately. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's an attempt to like really show the stakes of what's going on at this point mm. in the conflict with the First Order. Yeah, because um, he obviously does this huge thing. He makes this big sacrifice to get them this information, and Finn says, "How how do we thank you?" And he says, "Win the war." Um, <laughs> I love your impression. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's he's dead after that. Uh, yeah. Do you think it's kind of funny that it's just he's passing them this big wire and essentially they're just trying to upload this little text message to R2. It's it's yes, it's Palpatine, he's back. Um, <laughs> it takes a long time for R2 to get that message. Yeah. I feel like it would have been much safer for them to um like just exchange that message verbally, to be honest. I feel like there's gonna be much more of like a electronic trail by using all these wires and stuff. Literally just shout to them, Palpatine's back! (laughs) And that's the substance of the message. Well, maybe Bulio doesn't actually know. Maybe he's just passing it. Yeah, I think that's probably the idea. Pretty convoluted. It is. 
Yeah. And it's a way to do more running around the Falcon and hey, quick, we gotta go. Yeah. Oh my god, we're running out of time. <laughs> it's just another link in the MacGuffin chain, as they say. <laughs> yeah. Oh god, this movie. Okay, so then we cut to Ray training under Leia in the forest, and the first shot is of her meditating, surrounded by rocks, and being like, "Be with me, be with me." And yeah, like I quite like Ray's training sequence. Like I like that as an introduction to her, and I really love Ray. Full stop. So I just enjoyed the opportunity to spend time with her. I also really like the choice to have Ray train under Leia. Yeah, like I wasn't sure what they were going to be capable of doing with the Leia character in this movie, obviously because Carrie's passed away. And I do feel like they sincerely tried very, very hard to respect the character and give her a meaningful role in the movie with what they had. So I can definitely appreciate that. Yeah, there are parts of it that are executed in an odd fashion. And, like, the dialogue between Ray and Leia is a bit stilted, you know, and you can tell the way in which it's been done, basically. You can tell that Carrie Fisher didn't record those lines with those scenes in mind. But, yeah, I could kind of put aside my disbelief and believe in it in the moment, if that makes sense. Yeah. At the end of the day, the most important thing for me in terms of that stuff is that Billy and the rest of Carrie's family were happy with what they had in this movie. Yeah. That really is the most important thing. So if they're happy with it, then I'm happy with it. Yeah. Um, what does confuse me about Leia's story? Maybe you can help me out here. Um, I do like the fact that she's helping train Ray, But what about that whole flashback where Luke is like, oh, she had to stop her training because she got this vision of that if she was going to be a Jedi, her son would die. Yeah, I have lots of opinions and feelings on that actually i'm not sure if it's maybe best to discuss them later on because yeah i I feel like i could go on about that for a long time so it might distract here yeah there's just a lot of stuff like that where i'm like i'm trying to work it out but i get the sense that the creators don't actually want me to think it through yeah exactly it's like my understanding of that line and then where leia is shown to be in the movie it's quite depressing (laughs) so yeah like watching it today i felt like it came into clearer focus to me and it's like oh if that is what's happening that's really grim like and that's in terms of taking it on the story level you know not thinking in terms of god jj and colin made some really shitty decisions because you know after a certain point you need to kind of get past that you know and be like it, it is what it is so i need to accept the story as it's being told as much as is possible because it's not always clear what is being told in the story um yeah but yeah in terms of how this story as a whole seems to present um the nature of the force and the nature of things like visions and um i'm not really comfortable with it and i feel like it changes a lot of how i understand star wars and yeah what would be considered aspirational or exciting for a kid in terms of watching Star Wars and being like oh I want to have the force I feel like this story is actually quite dark in terms of how it portrays those things yeah and the character's agency um oh definitely come away with it with this weird sense of unease yeah and and that layer stuff is a part of it but on the surface her and Rey working together I do like it I think it was a good way to take Leia's character and it makes sense after Mark's you know he's he's taken his bow in the last jedi with an amazing arc for luke 
Um, but Ray still needs help. She's got yeah. books, but that may, might not be enough. I've seen some criticism, and I understand it to a degree, that um, potentially the idea of Ray having to train is like a, a way to appease the fans who weren't comfortable with the fact that Ray had all this power, but she hadn't been trained. Yeah. Um, I can see why people might think that, but in terms of like the story itself, it doesn't bother me to see her like going through this. Because I, I just... I love watching Daisy run around and beat things up and I just think it's done pretty well so it doesn't doesn't bother me and it kind of gives me an indication of where the character's at psychologically as well she's clearly got a lot of frustration yeah um and watching it today it also really struck me that yeah she has Leia's guidance and support but ultimately this training regimen it seems to be very self-directed and it seems to be something that she's like had a big say in creating. You know, it's not like Leia's like jogging alongside her and saying, "You can do it, Ray. Grab the ribbon." <laughs> Let me like, get my stopwatch. <laughs> exactly. Drop the ob- twenty. <laughs> Obviously, there are like literal, real-world reasons why that would have been impossible. But I also feel like, as a choice, and in terms of how you present the character training and how you frame her training, I saw it as like self-development. Yeah. You know, so I saw that as a positive thing and I liked it. And I also really like especially the line be with me. I think there's something really beautiful and poetic about that. It just adds to my frustration in terms of there could have been a really wonderful payoff for that with Ben. Mm. But yeah, it's not there. So there is obviously payoff in terms of she does actually connect to the dead Jedi in you order to defeat to Palpatine. But yeah, there's no personal investment there. It's just her being used as this vessel for the machinations of the Force, which will be part of a wider conversation we'll have sooner or later about how the Force operates in this film, which is a bit creepy. Um, and yeah, it could have been this moment of like beautiful personal realisation for her and wholeness, but ultimately it just isn't. So a beautiful line without a good payoff for me. No, I agree with you. When she started saying that at the beginning, I immediately thought, oh, that's going to pay off later with, with Ben in some way. Mm. Um, and it didn't. And that seemed like the obvious choice to me, but for whatever reason, that's not what they went for. They went for her connecting with... Um, Ahsoka Tano! Yeah. Not, and to be fair, Luke and Leia are involved as well. Of course, yeah. But yeah, there's lots of Jedi there. We hear the voices that don't mean anything to Rey personally. It's this notion of all the Jedi are behind her. Which, again, I get what they're going for. It's nice to kind of wrap up the story in that way. Um, but there's a... Oh, we're, we're jumping ahead way too far. But I, I just... I got the sense here that Be With Me was really going to mean something for these central characters. And it ended up not being that way, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, or at least that it would maybe come back in some way in that very last scene that we have. Yes. Um, in terms of Ray floating those rocks, it does kind of remind me of the way that JJ originally had the Force Awakens ending, mm. with uh, the rocks floating around Luke as Ray found him at the top of that mountain on Up Two. Yes. Um, of course, Ryan asked JJ to change that because he wanted at that point for Luke to have cut himself off from the Force. But I did think it was like a nice homage to that idea. Um, again, at the end of the Last Jedi, that Ray floats the rocks to save her friends, um, but. It, Unlike that, in terms of her needing to do that to save her friends, it does feel like almost a bit of a flippant use of the Force. Yeah. It's almost like, okay, let's show off how her powers have grown because that was quite difficult for her to do at the end of that movie, but now she can do it really easily. But 
um for me the last jedi one of its big things was to kind of deconstruct the idea of the force as a superpower yeah but it's not a power you have it's the idea of this energy being all around you and then it's the thing that connects everything together yeah which is a beautiful idea and yeah it's not really engaged with in a thoughtful fashion in this movie i think that's safe to say <laughs> yeah i think it is treated like a superpower because again you also have the stuff with finn and Jana talking about it as like something that you can tap into yeah um yeah and for me it wasn't even so much about it floating through everything everyone it was almost about the force as this higher power that was directing things and yeah, there was a certain malevolence in that because of how certain things go and certain characters' stories end up. So, yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> but yeah, this conversation is making me realise I want to have a separate episode just about the Force and how the Force works and how the Force is shown to evolve over the movies. So, yeah, we'll have to table that for another time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so... During this sequence with Ray training, she's shown to get distracted as there appears to be a sort of like link with Kylo Ren. But again, this is a part of the movie where it's challenging for me to follow exactly what's going on because there's these edits and comparisons between Ray having visions and glimpsing things and Kylo touching the Vader helmet and getting visions and glimpsing things. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if they're meant to be aware of each other, if they're meant to be aware of what the other person's seeing and there's never any clear communication on that front like what did you get from that did you think they were aware of each other um i wondered if ray was mm. like the way she suddenly like looks really worried it's like is he in my head again or yeah but yeah it's, it's not clear and it makes me wonder you know we know that a year has passed or thereabouts have these people had any kind of connection since then because mm. when you first get that actual force connection when they get to Basana, it's very like, oh, it's you again. It's, yeah. It's not like, oh my God, I can't believe we still have this bond. Yeah. So, From the way been... it was presented, I very much got the impression they'd been in quite regular contact. Okay. Well, that makes me happy for obvious reasons. Because I feel yeah. like there's a lot to fill in there, whether it's fanfic or canon wise. Yes. Um. Yeah. It's kind of amusing. But yeah. I, yeah. I, I liked the idea of then going back to the helmet and then yeah like like we said before it didn't really make much sense given that it came after the palpatine reveal but i liked seeing the helmet again to tie it back to the force awakens i thought that was a really powerful scene with kylo in the mask in yeah. the first movie um but in terms of execution i did think it was a bit clumsy that they kind of like go through all of those different parts of the story so far yeah I did like that they showed glimpses of the proposal scene from The Last Jedi with mm. obviously the hand being extended. So I feel like that yeah, is the hand one of... is like a big part of this movie, right? Yeah, exactly. And I feel like that's one of the rare aspects of this movie that actually does have a definite setup, a through line, and then ultimately a payoff. Because we start off with this whole idea of the hand not being taken. And then we end their story together with Ray taking his hand and squeezing it. And then being able to accept each other's love you know and embrace and it did commit to that and it did follow through so i'm glad it at least managed that because (laughs) that's one thing where i give it a gold star because yeah you committed to using that imagery of the hand not taken and you came through so well done jj abrams 
Yeah. And again, I'm not saying it was immaculate. I'm not saying it couldn't have been done a bit more effectively sometimes, but they did it. And I'm proud of them, at least to that <laughs> small extent. So well done. Well done. And I, I don't know how you interpret it, but I do think, you know, I'm going to go full Raylo here. I do think mm-hmm. when they're talking about next time you'll take my hand, why didn't you take my hand? I did want to take the hand. That it's kind of like a marriage thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I felt it was framed like that. I'm sure some fans don't see it that way and would scoff at us, but that's kind of my interpretation. Yeah, I don't want to have that conversation with my dad when he thought they were brother and sister. It's like, hey, dad, it's a proposal of marriage. Dad, (laughs) dad. (laughs) I don't know how he got through all three movies thinking that. I know, I know. I think it's kind of charming and sweet, but um, (laughs) yeah, I've become used to him. God bless him. Um, yeah, and another thing that happens during this whole Ray bit is that because she gets distracted during this communion with Kaido slash whatever it is, um, she um, like cuts down a tree and it sort of damages BB-8, which, again, establishes another through line throughout the whole movie, which is this fear that Ray has of hurting the people close to her. Um, I kind of feel like this is one of the through lines where it is definitely a through line because it occurs throughout the movie at several distinct moments, but it doesn't have a very clear resolution to it. So I feel like the last time it really comes up is when Finn is chasing her across the Death Star ruins. And at that point, her response is to literally force push him away, um, which seems pretty brutal. And yeah, there's no point in the movie where she's able to reconcile, oh yeah, I can like work alongside other people without hurting them and stuff, you know? Well, and, I wondered if that was yeah. part of the intent of the scene when she arrives on Act 2. Mm. It, it's her doing what they can in terms of her feeling like she's dark because of her lineage. Yeah. And then Luke actually saying there are things that are stronger than blood. Yeah. And you can do this. I think that's true and that's probably the intent of that. It's just, yeah, like a lot of this movie, it's not very clearly articulated. Yeah. Yeah. But again, this is me trying to be generous. No, no, it's good. I think it's nice to try and give the movie a fair shot as much as possible. Because, yeah, otherwise it's easy to give into the dark side. I think because so much of it has clearly been cut and they've really pared a lot of the scenes down to the bare essentials and then something's lost. So it's like, okay, well, I can kind of see if if I maybe embellish that a little bit in my mind. Yeah, I can if you see squid. how it connects to this, but I wonder if when they finally got the finished movie, they all sat down to watch it and actually thought, does this make sense as a new viewer with no context of the extra stuff that we've had to cut? Yeah. Maybe it was too difficult to do that at that point. Exactly. I would love to see an extended cut of this movie. Obviously, I don't think we'll get one because that's just not really a thing with Star Wars movies, but who knows? Maybe if Bob Iger wants to squeeze a few more million dollars from it. Um <laughs> Coming back to the Ray and Leia stuff, um, there's been a lot of discussion about Ray feeling like she has to earn her brother's saber. Mm, yeah. Unfortunately, I think that exchange is constrained by the fact that they had footage of Leia exchanging the saber, and they do yes. it twice. So she gives it to Leia, and then a minute later, Leia's given it back to her. Yeah. So I think that was one of the clearest parts for me, where it's like, okay, we have this footage of Carrie Fisher being given the saber. We want to do something with this. What can we do? And then they came up with this idea for Ray losing confidence in herself and giving the saber back, and then it being returned by Leia. Um, so yeah, being generous, you can understand why it was written. But for me, it just 
registered as really kind of odd because it's really a very short period that Leia has it back for. You know, <laughs> Ray's crisis of confidence only lasts for like two minutes. And then she's like, oh, here you go. Now you've earned it. And like the only thing that's changed is that Ray has found out the information about Exegol in the books. And yeah, it just didn't work really. But yeah, it's a shame. And that Ray earned that saber two movies ago in JJ's yes. movie when yeah. it called to her. And then, yes, she did reject it because that's part of the hero's journey at that point. But then at the end, she does accept the call and it flies into her hands. Yeah. And Kylo doesn't earn it at that point, And that's very important, too, because he earns it later. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I do feel like that whole idea of Ray lacking confidence, I, I think that can definitely be seen as appeasement, unfortunately, towards some of the people who are like, oh, she's too powerful, or she doesn't deserve that saber, she's not a Skywalker, you know, and yeah, that makes me sad. Yeah, it's it's one of these things where I feel like I have a slightly different reading of Ray than these creators do, because I do think she lacks confidence in lots of different ways, but in terms of her physical abilities and her ability to handle that saber, there's never been any question yeah um apart from when she first is like i don't want any part of this but in terms of actually being able to wield it she's never had any concerns about that she grabbed it from the bag when she was on arc two sliced that rock in half had no qualms yeah um, she goes for it so it did seem a little odd here but mm. yeah you know, and and just also the idea of that saber being treated as a sacred object that saber killed younglings okay it's not a holier-than-thou, amazing symbol of goodness just because Luke Skywalker briefly used it. Luke yeah. actually, most of his life, used that green saber. This yeah. is Anakin's saber, really. I feel like the sequel trilogy as a whole treats the lightsabers like they're Excalibur or something, <laughs> which, yeah, it just doesn't ring true for me, you know? And like you say, especially with Anakin's saber. So that's a dodgy-as-hell saber. <laughs> seen some shit yeah but we just gotta let it go exactly gotta move on um okay so then we cut to the falcon returning with finn and poe they actually return as ray's read in the jedi books which i really like i do appreciate that they st stick to that with her having those books and looking at them so I, it would have been a shame if that had been completely dropped that leads to yet more banter with the trio, particularly between Ray and Poe over damaging their respective belongings in terms of the Falcon and BB-8. And yeah, then we get the famous sequence where Poe slash Oscar Isaac looks like he wants to die, where he has to say, somehow Palpatine has returned. And yeah, then it, there's basically this sequence of events where Exegol is mentioned, Ray realises she's read about Exegol in the books, and then they all decide with Leia's agreement to go off and follow this trail to Exegol that was originated a few years prior by Luke when he was himself hunting for Exegol. And if that sounds convoluted, it's because it is. <laughs> because this initiates an extended fetch quest, which is... <laughs> raises a lot of questions about Lando too. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Like I didn't imagine like Luke and Lando is going off and having adventures and missions together, but okay. I'm not necessarily opposed to that. It can be quite cool. But, I'm not yeah, either, but just Lando questions. just like stays there on Prasana. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And again, I think that's a artifact of things being brutally cut out with the movie, but we'll get to that in due course. 
Um, so yeah, first of all, what did you think of that banter between Poe and Ray, where she's pissed off of him for damaging the Falcon and he's annoyed of her for damaging BB-8 slash not getting involved with the active fight and just training? Again, it seemed improvised a lot to me. Um, like I was watching... You're a difficult the- man! Yeah... I do think, like I said earlier, I think the idea of Poe, and to a lesser extent Finn, being frustrated at Rey for not being out there in the fight and Jedi training, which is something that they don't fully understand. I think Mm -hmm. that is potentially interesting, but it's just never really developed beyond this point. Um, Yeah. And just, you know, why is that? It's like they couldn't really decide what should actually be the conflict between these characters. It's almost the same as like Rey thinking that she kills Chewie later. There's potential for all of this interesting conflict between them like them discovering the force bond or how she felt about ben and then nothing Mm. nothing actually happens so um i did see some people commenting even after they'd watched the entire movie so they've seen all the stuff that happens between ray and ben they came back to this and thought oh i thought maybe something was gonna happen between poe and ray there they looked like they were flirting yeah, I've seen people like hold on to really small stuff, like in the sinking sands later on, Poe catches Ray, she falls through. Um, and it's literally the briefest moment of bodily contact between them, but I've seen that as like, oh yeah, that's an indicator they're gonna get together. Well, if you wanna ship it, ship it. Like there's nothing wrong with that, but in terms of the actual text, it shows you quite clearly later on that Ray has feelings for someone else. Yeah, exactly. And Poe's busy with Sori. He wants to kiss Sori, so he's not interested in Ray in that way. Yeah, it's very so. important that we know that Poe wants to have sex with Sori. <laughs> yeah. He's a manly man who's very much heterosexual. <laughs> it's like, oh my god. Uh, I like Sori, but yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Um. Yeah, exactly. It's hard to stick to this whole chronological thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, And I, I like the idea of Ray being very protective of the Falcon as well, and um, Oscar Poe, uh, just not really giving a shit and caring far more about BB-8. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like I empathise so much more with Ray in that situation because with Ray and BB-8, it was just an accident. It wasn't like she went, "Ha, I'm gonna trash BB-8 now." Like it was just like this impulsive moment and a, an accident that she deeply regretted and was highly apologetic for. I didn't see Poe apologising to the Falcon. Thank you very much. I don't get the impression that Poe's used to apologising for things. No. <laughs> the golden boy. <laughs> uh, I did like that JJ at least decided to keep the Jedi texts. Yes, definitely. I really liked that. And I also appreciated that when they're at the stupid briefing and Ray is remembering what she read in the Jedi texts, I liked that Ray wanted to speak to Leia privately to tell her about it rather than like making this big pronouncement in front of the crowd. Because that, to me, felt very true to who Ray was. Because, yeah, for me, Ray's always this kind of, like, interior person. You know, she's not a person for big crowds and, like, making grand speeches and stuff. So I like that they did give her those quieter moments, like, just one-on-one. And again, I know that's also logically about using the carry footage and they had footage of Carrie just talking to one person. But, yeah, I felt that worked well. Yeah, I felt like that kind of fed in with the the Ray and Leia stuff that we get in Resistance Reborn as well. Mm, yep. Um, in terms of this bit where they are talking about Palpatine being back and everything, you know the stuff with Dominic Monaghan where he's throwing out like, oh, dark side cloning. <laughs> I thought it was meant to be like a joke. 
Yeah. And then apparently in the Visual Dictionary, he's actually meant to be like an historian specializing in all of this stuff. So yep. it's meant to be like serious suggestions. It is meant to be serious suggestions. And like no shade to Dominic Monaghan. You know, he was reading lines that were written for him and stuff. But I find that character insufferable. Like he's only in it for a tiny, tiny amount of time. But oh God, he just made my blood boil whenever I saw him. I was like, why are you here? <laughs> It's like you're taking time away from Rose. He's there because he won a soccer bet with JJ. So he got a role in the new film. Oh my and god. And then they needed someone to mansplain to Ray <laughs> about the Jedi text. Oh god. And and yeah, they needed someone that could have had the lines that Rose could have had. Because yeah. it was very important that Rose be given just over a minute of screen time, apparently. Yeah. Oh god, the treatment of Rose makes my blood boil. Honestly, it... of all of the things that this movie does in terms of what it does for the characters, Ray Palpatine, Ben dying, Ray Skywalker, the thing that gets me angry the most and I think I will always be angry about it is them cutting Rose out. Yeah. And it deserves anger and like honestly some of the decisions they make about how they present Rose and how they use Rose as well, um they really upset me to be honest watching it today. Like at this point, so obviously I don't want to jump ahead yet again, but in this sequence that we're talking about at the moment, the way that like she goes to Finn and says, oh, I can't join because of X bullshit reason that was written by the screenwriters. And the way Finn just gives her that little pat on the I shoulder. Know. It's devastating. It's the most condescending thing I've ever seen. And there's just absolutely zero acknowledgement of the fact that she had these feelings for Finn you know and he obviously cared about her you know he was covering her with his coat at the end of the film you know he wanted her to be okay and yeah like it didn't necessarily need to turn into a full full blown romance but it just feels like such a cynical open like f you to the story that Ryan was telling the last jedi and everything that the character of rose represented that i think it warrants anger to be honest and i don't think people should stop being angry about that so, yeah, I think it's completely valid to be angry. Yeah, I think the thing that gets me, like like I said, I would always be angry at what they chose to do to Kelly in terms of out of universe deciding that she would have essentially a non-role in this movie. Um, mm. She gets a minute and 16 seconds, which is less than what her sister Paige Tico had in The Last Jedi. And that was a far more effective role in terms of how she actually affected the themes and the story. But even that aside, at the very least, if they decided that they didn't want Rose to have much of a role, what they could have done here was, like you say, shown some level of deference and respect to what Ryan developed between these two characters. And if they were going to have to have... And to me, having this conversation in there where Finn specifically goes to Rose and says, last chance, are you coming? And, you know, they're showing some awareness that they have to explain somehow why, why why Rose, who was a major character in the last movie, isn't in this one to the same degree. They have to explain that she's not going on the mission for whatever reason it is. Um, at the very least, they could have had Finn kiss her on the cheek or something. Yeah, but exactly. They, cho- they choose not to do that, and I, I don't understand. Yeah, it's really, really shitty. And yeah, there's something that happens in the final battle, like with Finn and Rose, that makes me even more upset, to be honest. So we'll talk about that in due course. Kelly does the absolute best with what little she's given here. 
Yeah. Um, she is charming. She's believable in the role. She delivers her lines well. Yeah. She looks really cute in that hairstyle. Yeah. Um, She's beautiful. I... They made a good job of making like everyone look beautiful in this movie. But yeah. And I, I like that she's the one who's actually sceptical of the truth behind Palpatine's return. Because at least there's some acknowledgement that it's ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Not like stupid Beaumont Kin and his conspiracy <laughs> theories. It's like, oh god. I bet if he were in the real world, he'd be a YouTuber. <laughs> like, I could just see it now. <laughs> yeah, she's like, uh, how do we know that this is true if we're getting it from the First Order? It's like, that's a good question, Rose, but it's not going to come up. It's a question for another time. <laughs> oh my god. Um, Yes. So yeah, is there anything else we want to say about this scene with um, everyone gathering together and making the choice to go off and go to travel to Pisana to well, find um, the wayfinder? <laughs> that bit with Ray and Leia alone. I do mm. like it when um, Ray's kind of having trouble expressing herself. And is it here or is it earlier with the train? I feel like Leia says, "Don't tell me what things look like. Tell me what they are." I think that's during the training. Okay. Well, I, I did like that line. And obviously yeah, it was same. originally intended for something totally different. Um, yes. But it feels very Leia. And I do like that she's encouraging Ray to express herself and be comfortable with who she is. Yeah. But, uh, in terms of how that fits in with everything else, um, I do think it's quite messy because, and I, I again, it's one of those things that I think the filmmakers have a very clear idea of what they've tried to do. And that they feel that they've executed it well in terms of don't be afraid of who you are, which is then echoed later by Dark Ray. And then how that reconciles with Ray taking the Skywalker name. For me, it's actually undermined by that choice. But to them, clearly, they feel like that is the culmination of that. Yes. That's Ray embracing this new identity. To me, it's not done well. So yeah. as a result, it feels like don't be afraid of who you are. I don't feel, for me, in my reading, I don't feel like Ray ever actually um, overcomes that, unfortunately. Yeah. But I think that in the creator's perception, she does. So it's it's a tricky one. Yeah. No, I think that's the case where there, it is a through line and they do attempt to give it a payoff. But yeah, I'm with you. I don't think the payoff is effective because, um, yeah, I feel like they get really close towards having like really frank and open acknowledgements of how Ray is struggling and how she's struggling with who she is as a person but yeah and then the whole Palpatine thing comes in and <laughs> we'll get to it we'll yeah. get to it um okay so then we get a quick cut away to what the first order's doing um and this basically consists of Kylo getting his mask fixed by a monkey <laughs> for some reason yeah, so I don't like that he gets the mask fixed, but I like that he gets the mask fixed by a monkey. So it's not all bad. And then you basically cut to the Knights of Ren stalking through Star, Star Destroyer, leaving the muddy <laughs> floors, which is also another great detail. Um, and then they slam Paul Bulio's head on a conference table. There's some cute dialogue about Hux being intimidated by Kylo's mask. And yeah, then someone gets forced slammed to the ceiling for daring to inquire about what Earth Palpatine could want in return for an entire fleet. And yeah, so that's about it. So what did you make of all this stuff, Kirsty? Highlights, lowlights, go for it. Um, <laughs> again, the mask rebuilding seems like it's been cut from something with more context, like a longer sequence where you'd see yes. where they were, why it was being done. Maybe even some actual characterization for the Knights of Ren. 
who knows maybe that's out there somewhere as it stands it just simply seems like ben gets it fixed because the boys are back in town and he wants to fit in yes. which is kind of what we were joking about before the movie but actually that's the case because there's nothing else offered as an explanation despite yep. the fact that jj was saying in interviews that there were clear symbolic reasons for it um yeah if if you squint we can come back to the idea especially with ray having her three buns back that it's like oh they're both kind of regressing after the heartbreak of the last jedi and they have to kind of bridge that gap again maybe that is the idea behind it i don't think it's too effective yeah and again even the stuff with hux commenting on it i'm like why would hux be afraid of that he's seen kylo in that helmet for years it doesn't make any sense the only again being kind being kind to them and trying to think about it logically i can assume that maybe so we've had this whole year period as with kylo as supreme leader he hasn't had the mask now suddenly the mask is back i could see that being a slightly perplexing decision like what's gone on why why have you got this mask back it's got a little cell phone strapped to the inside that allows him to talk to palpatine whenever he wants to I love it. Yeah, like I think I was defending the decision to repair the mask because I did foolishly, how foolishly, have faith that there would be some sort of character-based reason for doing it. There's like one throwaway line from Ray where she's like, I can see through the cracks in your mask. It's like, oh, I see what you did there. Yeah, exactly. That's probably what Terry and Abrams considered justification for having the mask back. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it really wasn't justified and ultimately it did just feel like another cynical decision about, oh, we're going to fix what Ryan Johnson destroyed. <laughs> and it's like, uh, I don't like it. Have you seen the conspiracy theories that it might not be Adam in those scenes? I've seen it mentioned and I must say I was thinking about that when on my latest viewing. That would be hilarious. Yeah, I'd love to know. Let's put it that way. I think it might be true because I think in The Force Awakens, Adam has such a distinctive physicality when he's wearing the mask. You know, there's no question that it's Adam Driver in that costume at all times, you know. And I certainly don't think it was never Adam Driver when he had the mask on, let's put it that way. But I certainly think it's possible that there were scenes where it wasn't Adam Driver. God, I want all the dirt on this movie. (laughs) Yeah, same. <laughs> he definitely did all his lines. I can say that. He did well, all yeah, his lines. Well, but that's the thing. That can be added in later. Which ADR. might then... I mean, then there's the whole conspiracy theory that Daisy didn't know that Ray was a Palpatine until late in the game because she might never have heard Adam say, you're a Palpatine, mm. if that was added in later. Might explain the lack of resp- reaction to exactly. it from Ray. <laughs> <laughs> it's like trying to work on trying to figure out how this movie all came together and yeah i don't know it's like more interesting than the story itself yeah exactly again like you say though earlier it does at least make it easier to pretend like she's not actually a palpatine so (laughs) in a way it's a blessing in disguise okay so i know people have opinions on the knights of ren i know they're kind of stupid that we never hear any of them speak and we have the funny like drum music when they're together on not Tatooine on Pasana. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I kind of embraced it. I kind of like that they're so ridiculous. Yeah, and we get I so do. little because then it, it does kind of leave it open more for characterization in fanfics. And there have been some amazing fa- fanfics that like really focus on Kylo's relationship with the Knights of Ren. And of course, we're getting the comic coming out now that presumably, presumably will flesh out those relationships more yeah um i do just find it funny because as the last jedi was coming out ryan was giving interviews 
where he said he developed the Praetorian Guards because, yeah, he could have used the Knights of Ren, but he presumed that JJ created those to have like these really intriguing dynamics of Kylo, and he didn't want to step on those in case JJ or Trevorrow wanted to do something more interesting with them later. <laughs> and then it's like they're just the Praetorian Guards 2.0. Oh my god. Bless Ryan Johnson for thinking that they might actually have a purpose. Yeah, they're just there to look cool and it turns out that as soon as Ben Solo turns they're just Palpatine's lackeys anyway. Yeah. So he's not really master of the Knights of Ren. (laughs) Well, I always thought that when Snoke says that in The Force Awakens it had this kind of mocking tone. Like, are you master of the Knights of Ren? It's like, is he really? Yeah. Like, all that sort of stuff, there is basically this huge gap between Kylo f- tossing that saber away and Kylo turning up at Exegol, you know? So presumably Palpatine has communicated to the First Order somehow that Supreme Leader Kylo Ren has defected, that he is not to be followed, you know? But God, it would have been nice to have a scene that was demonstrating that, you know? With I don't know. Yeah. But I, I do, I am kind of enjoying the Knights of Ren for what they are. Yeah. I think, I think it's funny. I don't know if yeah. it's supposed to be, but it is. So No, I find it kind of funny. <laughs> Marching down the corridor. I like it when they arrest Chewie. I think that's really funny. Where yeah. they're just all like gathered around, like doing nothing in particular. So <laughs> like, is this your like crowning achievement? The fact that you managed to like capture a weaponless Wookiee? Like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's not good, guys. It's not good. Um, and yeah, I do really like how one of the First Order officers um, asks about Palpatine's price and that clearly hits a raw nerve, nerve in Kylo because mm. he slams the guy up, up upon the ceiling. Because again, another thing that the movie's consistent at, to give it its due, is presenting this idea that Kylo is fixated on Rey and that he has no intention of destroying her or handing her over to Palpatine you know he has his own plans and it's consistent in showing that and yeah so I appreciated that he was looking out for his girl and he didn't like to think about what nasty old Palpatine might have had planned for her because it was most distressing to him see we knew it was BS when he was saying on crate I'll destroy her like yeah no you won't exactly there's no hint of that really in this movie which i appreciated like yeah. when palpatine like says kill the girl you're like ha, he's not gonna do that no no way um in terms of pride being introduced here uh you clearly quickly get the sense that him and hux do not like each other very much yeah um like pride has that bitchy little dig at starkiller base which i yeah. quite liked um in terms of like what i'd been hoping for for the story beforehand i had been hoping for hux and pride to be more in cahoots kind of against mm. Kylo. yeah and for a long time you know it wasn't just us uh, a lot of the fandom had this theory that hux could stage a coup because of what ryan kind of set up at the end of the last jedi there with him glaring after kylo and clearly having these aspirations of being supreme leader himself um but then since the palpatine reveal it's like okay well they're clearly not going to go that direction but i still think overall it means that this movie even manages to do Hux dirty mm. because he's positioned as a serious rival to Kylo and then that's all kind of undermined and in yeah. terms of him being like you know a zealous believer in the first order and what they can do for the galaxy it's all kind of scrapped and he's replaced by an older version of himself yeah 
And it's a pity because Donal is so good and he has so little to do in this movie, but he's still pretty delightful in those bits that he does get. Yeah, he hams it up. Yeah. Like, he's still a joy to watch. So I'll always love Donal. I'll always love Hux. But yeah, yeah, he meets a sad end. I really like Richard E. Grant. I was really excited for him to be announced to be in this movie. I'm happy for him that he got to be in Star Wars because he's clearly delighted. But this movie has a weird thing of replacing characters with ones that then it doesn't bother to develop too much. Yeah. And they're kind of similar. You know, we see something like that with Rose and Janna for Finn's story. It's like you're introducing more characters, but they're not doing the ones that we already have justice. Yeah. No, that's so true. That's a really good point. The only thing I can think with pride is that there will be interest in novels written about him. <laughs> but yeah, that doesn't excuse the fact that he is just used as a needless replacement for Hux in this film. And again, if I'm being generous, I do feel like to an extent that was set up, especially in The Last Jedi novelization, in terms of these older officers looking down on people like Hux, who were young and relatively inexperienced in their eyes. And these people who had been working with the Empire, they felt like they should be running the show. Yeah. So maybe you can say it was set up in that sense. I just, I think that Hux had a lot of potential. And I know he was used for a lot of comic relief in those first two movies, but he could also be super serious and scary too. Yeah. And you don't see that side of Hux in this movie. No. Yeah. You kind of get the sense of someone who's being completely demoralised and broken by what they've gone through, which really just makes me want a novel about what the hell happens to Hux in that year. (laughs) Yeah, what happened when he went from being so... You know, it, it, on crate, he's very dismissive and mocking of Kylo's emotional state. And then at the end, as you like, right at the end when Kylo goes into that room and finds the dice, it's like, oh, Hux means business here. Yeah, that meaningful look. Yeah, it turns out that he doesn't. So. Okay, cool. So then we go to the gang, go into Pasana, and they see this festival of ancestors, which happens every 42 years. <gasps> what could have happened 42 years ago, guys? <laughs> Sorry. Mm. Um, and yeah, so they wander through the festival. Ray encounters a little girl who asks for her name, and the little girl gives her a necklace. Then there's a force bond with Kylo, and then there's trouble, essentially, where a squad of troopers find them and then who comes in to save the day and help them out but Lando Calrissian okay so I've covered a lot but I've realised that we've been going to like one and a half hours and we're maybe like 20 minutes into the movie (laughs) so yeah I'm starting to think we might need to do several podcasts on the Rise of Skywalker to be honest Um, but yeah just to talk about this bit what's your opinion on Pasana and the Aki Aki Kirsty? Um, I think the whole thing on Pasana is absolutely nuts. Mm-hmm. I mean, way too much happens, but I still enjoy it. It's, it yes. kind of reminds me of The Phantom Menace, where JJ's just going wild. Yeah. I think, like you say, I think the colour of the costumes, I like the Aki Aki design. I love the little kids having their, their lesson. I think that's really cute. And they're laughing. It's really cute. Um, and Ray looking at that and enjoying it. Yeah. And then being given that necklace. Ugh, of course, it's all teeing up to the really forced thing where she's asked her name and then people ask her family name and it's like there are lots of different naming conventions in the galaxy she wouldn't necessarily have a last name yeah i don't think that everyone would immediately jump to that uh it's kind of awkward 
and no one asks the same of Finn, who also doesn't have a last name. It's like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing here. Yeah, it's annoying. Yeah. Like, and I think I pref- much preferred it on Persona because the way they present the little girl who's asking the question is really sweet. You know, and it seems like an innocent question that she's asking and maybe like a cultural thing that family names are very important in that culture or something, you know. So obviously I still know and fear and dread what it's setting up at the end of the film. But in isolation, I like that exchange with Ray and the little girl and think it's really sweet. In an alternate reality, it sets up the idea of Ray actually becoming comfortable with the fact that she doesn't have a last name. And she's like, yeah, I'm just Ray. That's good enough. I'm good enough by myself, yeah. Yeah, so I liked the way she responded, you know, when she told the little girl, just Ray. Well, she there's clearly an undertone of, oh, I don't have one. Yeah, no, exactly. There's like a note of sadness, but yeah, like you say, in a different movie, then that would build to Ray being much more confident and proud as she affirms that, yeah, I'm just Ray and that's okay and that's enough. Mm. But that obviously isn't the story they were interested in telling. So Yeah. I also think the necklace thing with Kylo snatching it it has a lot of potential. I really think if if Ryan Johnson had directed this movie, I think they would have lingered on that a little bit more. Mm. Definitely. Like most things in this movie, it's just done and over with so quickly. But it's a nice idea. And I do like the running thing where there's this transference of objects through the force. I think that's like a really cool conceit and it builds on what Ryan did nicely. So obviously in The Last Jedi, we have the rain going through the Force Bond from Act 2 to Kylo. Again, it, it's so much more than just like, oh, this is what the Force Bond is capable of doing. It's how it's filmed and expressed and symbolised. And I feel yes. like Brian did an amazing artistic job with that. And JJ kind of just takes like the fundamentals, but then strips it of the impact. I feel like he tries to be a bit artistic because obviously when the Force Bond initiates... Raised environment changes, you know, it all goes dark and there's this surreal quality surrounding yeah, but then Ray. it cuts to that shot of Kylo and he's like off centre in the shot and he's just stood straight, awkwardly with his mask on. Palpatine wants you dead or whatever know, it is he says. I'm like, oh my God, is this meant to be funny? <laughs> I know, that, that's why I said a temperature, Kirsty. <laughs> so I think the way they present the Ray side of things is quite beautiful, you know, and quite evocative. It's just that the way everything with Kylo is filmed is so blunt and it just is what it is, you know, that, oh, it just made me ache for those Last Jedi days. Because I like what they're saying together, you know, like I like the dialogue exchange. I like that, like Kylo is questioning her on why she didn't take his hand. Rey is questioning him on why he didn't kill her and stuff, you know. I appreciated that they were shown to be doing it in a... I want to test you because I want you to admit that you feel something for me way, you know, because that came through to me in terms of what was going on there. So yeah, I like what's happening in the scene. It's just, as you say, a lot of it comes down to how it's presented and the fact that it could have been presented and filmed in a much more effective way. Yeah, there's just something lacking for me. And again, it might come back to the fact that they wanted to express that these characters had regressed at that point. Mm. But it's hard to separate that from how it actually comes across in the movie, if that makes any sense. It's like, it's still having the effect of distancing me from the emotional impact of what's going on. It made me feel kind of numb, whereas those scenes in The Last Jedi were a real highlight to me. Yes. I can't put my finger on why, because I'm not a filmmaker, but it just didn't quite land. I think also just not having Adam Driver's face, to be honest. 
Because Adam Driver says so much with his face, and when he's actually allowed to emote and be seen in this movie, he's great. You know, like his response to Ray in the fight on the Death Star 2. You know, there's really beautiful intimacy when they're interacting there. But yeah, you obviously don't get that when he's wearing a mask. You know, he just looks like a noob. <laughs> strange choices and strange angles. Like I said, that first shot you get of him standing in his room off center awkward posture it's like what are you trying to say with this shot you trying to say he's a nerd maybe maybe you're supposed to look uncomfortable and like oh oh okay this is happening yeah Uh, hello ray i do like i have other plans (laughs) yes like just to be serious for a moment i do like how they set up this idea about kylo obviously in this early scene he's very much i want you to be with me on my terms you know, he's like, oh, next time I meet you, you, I will turn you to the dark side and you will take my like, hand. Who are you trying to kid? You do not particularly want to turn her to the dark side. All you care about is being with her. Yeah, exactly. I think for him, it's just this whole last resort thing, you know, and I think it comes through clearly on the in the throne room conversation is in the Death Star throne room because he's like, oh, it's too late now. You can't go back to my mother just like me. You know, and that's this whole thing that's going on. He's like, oh, well, I can't go back home. I can't go back to being Ben Solo. So therefore, the only way for us to be together is to get her to accept me as Kylo Ren. So that's what I'm going to do. And I do think there's quite a beautiful journey where he realizes, oh, holy shit, I can go back to being Ben Solo, you know, and I can be that person again. For like two minutes. Again, execution, the fact it's so brief, blah, blah, blah. It's very frustrating. But again, it's another thing that they are trying to do and they actually succeed at doing, even if they could have succeeded in a better way. (laughs) Yeah, I'll give them some praise. Again, not to get too graphic or fanfic-y, heaven forbid, but when snatching the necklace and then her like grasping where it was... That could have really been developed a little bit more. And I think if, if Ryan had been here, it would have been a bit racier, frankly. Oh, I yeah. Know, we, can, we can embellish it in our minds, but <laughs> they don't linger on it enough. It's very quick. Yeah. And you picture in a torn blouse, Kirsty. Not anything like that. It's just in terms of what it means. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. Like, that physical intimacy. Of course, after, yeah. After, presumably, we don't know, but it's kind of like... The last time they touched each other was when they actually touched hands across the bond because when he offers his hand the next time, of course, she doesn't take it. Yeah. So, you know, it should be like this big character moment. But again, it's just straight on to the next thing. Like, oh, crap, he took the necklace. We need to hide. Um, He gives it to someone in the First Order to locate her. Yeah. Again, just the movie needed to stop and breathe and give people time to register things and... Yeah, just digest what's just happened, which, yeah, and the absence of that really hurts the movie, I think. I will mm-hmm. say, though, that I really like the female officer who gets the necklace studied. Mm. I thought that was a good, very brief performance, and I liked her. Give her a spin off show, guys. <laughs> like, give, like, yeah, I'm trying to think what that would even be like. Kylo Ren's quest to find out what the fuck is going on with him and Rey. She's, her, she's his wingman. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I could do that. Um, yeah, and what did you make of the return of Lando, Kirsty? I loved seeing Lando. I thought Billy D did a great job of what he had. It yes, didn't... and I, I did also like the fact that he was like in disguise, you know, in that kind of Return of the Jedi way. Mm-hmm. But 
I did think it was kind of odd that he was just chilling there on Pasana mm. and then like happy to give them directions, but also at this point it's like, oh, my flying days are over. It's like, why, dude? We're in the middle of a war. <laughs> exactly. And this whole thing with Lando is one of these especially frustrating things because we know why he's on Pasana and why he's given up on the war from the fact that we have those early spoiler reports from Jedi Paxis because there was this whole cut storyline where he'd had this little girl and then she had been kidnapped by the First Order apparently while he was on Pasana or something. Yes. I, I don't know. Clearly meant to be Jana. Yeah, exactly. Clearly meant to be Jana, and he was just left heartbroken and dejected. And I think the idea is that he stayed on Pasana to wait for his child in case she would ever come back. Like essentially mirroring this idea of Rey waiting on Jakku in the hope that her parents would come back. But all of that's missing. Exactly. As an idea, that's great. You know, that could work really well and be really poetic and sad and effective, especially with the catharsis of father and daughter finally reuniting again at the end of the movie. But it's all gone. (laughs) It's all gone. And then we just have that awkward scene at the end where it's like, oh, let's find out. And it's like, wait, what? Yeah, and I've seen people interpret that as him hitting on her. Well, I'm not which surprised. Is like absolutely mortifying. Yeah, it's like, it is no. mortifying. No. But I can't blame people because, yeah. of course, they're thinking of Lando in Empire, who's, you know, flirting with Leia and good for him. Yeah, but then but Lee miss- D still looks pretty fantastic in this movie, <laughs> so you can't blame him for trying. But it's so. awful when you know what they were actually trying to go for, but they cut so much that none of it makes sense. This is what I'm talking about with them, like, watching this final cut and not being able to step back and think, wait, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't connect for the audience yeah. who doesn't know what we've removed. Exactly, yeah. Because Marianne, the editor, is probably looking at it thinking, oh yeah, that's a sweet scene foreshadowing the fact that they found each other again, that they're these separated family members. But that's because she knows the whole story exactly. that was meant to this be there. Like, and yeah, I, would, I really would have thought that this is like basic filmmaking stuff. Mm-hmm. That you need to like bring someone in who hasn't seen it to give you the opinion of like what, what how does that make sense? What what's connecting here? Yeah, it doesn't seem like they did that. Talented people with accomplished careers. Marianne Brandon is a great editor, so I just don't know what happened. They must have just run out of time. But it's like I still can't quite believe that this is what was released and this is it. This is the last movie in the Skywalker saga because it's so sloppy. Yeah. And what's so frustrating is that, like you say those ideas are there underneath and the way that chris terrio is talking about the movie in interviews it's like you think that these ideas are coming across effectively in the text they are not yeah there's exactly gap here there's a gulf between what you think you achieved and what is actually there in the story yeah because you tried to put too much in he said like we tried to make two movies because we wanted two movies like well you didn't have two movies you had one yeah Exactly. I really felt like watching this movie that JJ, look, if you weren't willing to accept all the choices that Ryan had made in The Last Jedi and build organically off all those choices, you shouldn't have taken the job. Yeah. I'm sorry, but yeah. He shouldn't have taken the job or he should have agreed to do the whole trilogy or Lucasfilm should have agreed, or Disney should have agreed to make four movies. Just yeah. something other than this rushed mess that kind of undermines a lot of what came before. It's kind of heartbreaking. Like, I know yeah. it's just a movie. And I keep going back and forth, depending on my mood, as to how much it actually bothers me. 
Mm. But it really does because there was so much potential. Yeah, exactly. And you can see glimmers of it everywhere. It's like, I don't know, being in mining or something and you're searching for precious jewels and you find something glimmering through all the rock, but it's just a glimmer. Yeah. Yeah, fandom's got a lot of work to do to unveil unveil that diamond, guys. (laughs) But yeah, I did like seeing Lando. You know, obviously it's lovely to see him him and Chewie reunite. I did think it was kind of funny that Ray was like, oh, we know who he is, 3PO. It's like, you do? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I felt like it was just another like cruel opportunity to like throw shade at 3PO, who I feel like always gets a raw deal in these movies. 3PO was the star of this movie. Oh, he really was. He was like the secret weapon. And yeah, he gets so much of my empathy in this movie as well. So I feel like people were being like unnecessarily mean to him a lot of the time, especially Poe and stuff. It's like, oh my God. Han is a real asshole to Frupio and Empire, especially. So yeah. it, it has precedent. I guess Frupio is just that kind of droid, isn't he? He just invites everyone to be pissy with him. But he, he took it in stride and, and he was the the standout so good for him good for anthony daniels yeah no it was a good part for him so i can understand why he was thrilled (laughs) so yeah they they leave lando and they're on to the next thing which is that crazy chase yeah they go on this crazy chase which i know reminded you of the um pod racing from phantom menace it does and and i like that to be honest yeah no it was a fun vibe i felt like there were some false notes for me like i really didn't like that there's this Troop, you know, one of the stupid flying troopers, and there's just this <laughs> moment that really grated me the wrong way where one of them loses control or is hit or something, and they just whiz around and then fly into the side of the mountain. It's like a and it was just, yeah, exactly. And it was just handled like something out of a Looney Tunes cartoon, you know. And I'm not normally the person to get pissy about things like that, but it bothered me. Yeah, it was definitely goofy. I'm just like embracing it as the stupid goofy star wars yeah um, no that's true and it's kind of harmless you know like i don't go to sleep at night feeling like <laughs> not about that actually really bothered me about the whole this, obviously it was like very fast paced like more of that ridiculous wait what the hell's going on but i just kind of went with it and then they end up in the quicksand and then the thing that bothers me most is when it leads to that weird thing with Finn being like, Ray, I never got to tell you. And it's like, oh. what is that? Again, it's something that this film, there was clearly a nugget of an idea there at some point. Yeah. And then it's just not paid off. Yeah. That is like the ultimate thing where like, they should have just cut that all references to that as a concept. You know, the whole idea that Finn had something to tell Ray that he hadn't yet had a chance to tell her, you know? Because so many people watch this movie and come away thinking that he wants to tell her he loves her, you know? Which is a completely natural assumption. It's a trope, and it's been done to death in millions of movies, and it almost always means some sort of, like, repressed love confession, you know? But apparently JJ in interviews has said that it's meant to be Finn wanting to tell Ray that he's Force-sensitive. Yeah, I think John Boyega said the same. 
Yeah, which really doesn't come across. And yeah, it's just a failure and they should have removed all reference to it. Although watching it again today, I know why they couldn't remove all reference to it. And it's because they have a scene when Finn and Poe are about to be executed on the Star Destroyer. And they're talking about it yet again, this whole idea of Finn having something to say. And there would have been no way to cut out that dialogue without completely ruining the flow of that scene. So I feel like you could probably cut all the other references to it, but that one. And because you couldn't cut that one, you needed to keep the others. And yeah, it's just bullshit. Oh, yeah. Just keep the payoff, guys. Just keep the payoff. I presume there was some payoff. If there wasn't, that's really terrifying. Like, they can't afford it was self-evident, can they? I think they think that the payoff is Finn then telling, talking to Janna about being Force-sensitive. Right. But that doesn't have any implication for his and Ray's relationship because he never gets to tell her and it manifests in terms of him sensing when she's dead and saying, yet again, Ray. But in terms of actually meaning anything for their relationship, there's just nothing. Like, they never really get to tell each other the closest they get to a heartfelt, honest conversation is when Ray is telling him about the vision. Mm. And, oh, he killed my parents. I need to go for revenge. But nothing in terms of her actually, like, wrestling with the truth of Palpatine being her grandfather, what that might mean. It's just, oh, I saw a vision of myself being dark with Kylo Ren. <laughs> but nothing about her feelings for for Ren, as they call him in this movie. Yeah. Um, and... Finn is meant to be her closest friend, so that would be the perfect opportunity. Yeah. To really test their relationship, and there's, it's just not there. Because, of course, Finn, if he's hearing her saying, oh, I had a vision of myself on the throne, even when they think that she's killed Chewie, they're still in the phase of just reassuring her that they still love her and it's okay. She's, yeah. She's a good person. There's nothing that really tests it. Yeah. Exactly. And, oh, it's just so frustrating, the wasted potential. Mm. Yeah. The least they could have given us is a shot of Ray and Kylo on that throne together. <laughs> oh, for shame. No, so it's fine. Now we get to the point where they, they're on Pasana still and they kind of go past that ship and Ray recognises it and they get into the whole thing of, like, Ochi and the dagger and Dio and... Yeah, so they basically sink in the sinking sands. They find themselves in a bunch of tunnels and then they find Ochi's body with the convenient dagger of convenience besides it. Yeah, which, and to be honest, seeing that body and seeing that dagger, it made me think, how hard did Luke and Lando really look? (laughs) I know, it was just around the corner, apparently. Yeah, because Lando clearly knows where the ship is, so he knew the right area to search. It's like, are you telling me you've been, like, just, like, bumming around this planet for, like, 20 years? And you haven't conducted a really thorough search of that whole area, you know. <laughs> but yeah, you can't think too far along those lines. It's a short path to madness. I'm what I'm curious about the timeline of this as well, because like Lando and Luke were searching for this, but it was clearly after Ray had been dumped. And yes. At, just at what at what point? Like, was Ben already with Luke? They were so close to finding her. Like I just, I don't know. It's all too, too connected, almost. Yeah, I sense that Ochi was killed pretty soon after he killed Ray's parents. In which case, Ben would have been like fifteen or so, because Ray so that was would like have been five. About time. So Ben should have certainly been with Luke, essentially. So Did maybe he, he was even the there. Yeah. Yeah. God, all these close encounters. But yeah, stuff I like about this whole stuff in the tunnels. 
I like the joke with Ray lighting the way of the lightsaber oh, and, po- and Poe realizing how pitiful his torch is by comparison. I think that's, that's great. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> that was a nice bit visual gag. Um, and I also really love the whole sequence of Ray and the snake and her healing the snake and showing compassion. I thought that was really beautiful. It's obviously really heavy foreshadowing slash setup for the powers that become very important later on, but. I just loved it and that to me said expressed everything I love about Ray's character. Same and it was one of the few moments when the movie really does give itself the chance to slow down. Yes. And focus on what's going on. Um, yeah. I love the interaction between Ray and BB-8 afterwards where he's clearly like impressed and she's like oh you would have done the same. Like, I think that's really sweet. Yeah that is beautiful and I saw someone on Twitter point out that there's a later scene where BB-8 gives Dio some of his charge. Oh. Yeah, so BB-8 does literally do the same, essentially. Oh, gives a bit of his thankful. life force. That's yeah, nice. so I think that's really beautiful. Um, I felt like a lot of the droid stuff in this movie actually was really strong. I felt yeah. Ray's relationships with the droids more powerfully than her relationships with the humans a lot of the time. Yeah. Which is potentially a problem. Well, but... maybe that's payoff for that wonderful ending where she ends up with BB-8. <laughs> maybe BB-8 is her true soulmate all along. <laughs> um... I also like the stuff here with, again, 3PO's humour where he's like, oh, I can't read that. <laughs> yeah. And like, so the one time we want you to talk, you can't. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fantastic. So I found this great line from 3PO, which I really loved. It's too fleeting, but it was one of the best lines in the movie. This isn't the afterlife, is it? Are droids allowed here? That's an actual 3PO line that he says after they find themselves in the tunnels, which I quite appreciated. Again, Although, all again, this talk of death in this movie. Yeah, it's a morbid fucking movie, guys. It's really morbid. I want to do like a whole spotlight list, just listing all the ways in which this movie's morbid. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do kind of consider it like it's the end of the Skywalker saga, and I know that they call it the rise, but it does kind of feel like the end, the death. Yeah, Skywalkers. Exactly. It ends with a funeral, basically. Well, it doesn't, and it should, but (laughs) you know what I mean. Yeah. A funeral for the wrong people. <laughs> oh, guys. Um, okay. Yeah. Oh, and also, I love that the snake is an obvious, like, over-the-top metaphor for Ben Solo slash Kylo Ren. Well, she calls him a snake in The Last Jedi, doesn't she? Exactly. Calls him a snake. Yep. So then they escape from the tunnels and they go to board Ochi's ship, which is miraculously working despite just sitting in the desert for several no decades. no one would have taken it. It's just so absurd, especially when you have this whole setup with Jakku in the first movie where something hits the ground and literally within seconds people are pouncing on it to tear it to bits for scrap. Yeah, and we know that from Tatooine as well. I mean, maybe there aren't Jawas on Pasana, but you'd think they'd have some kind of scavenger. Yeah, exactly. And I imagine the ship like that in full working order get you a nice pretty penny, you know, it's... A- good find and then there's this really hilarious thing where ray just wanders off as they're about to take off and chewie wanders off to try and find her gets captured by the knights of ren lol and then ray has that strangely i'm trying to think about how to describe it strangely open-ended encounter with kylo ren (laughs) anticlimactic really isn't it yeah, exactly. Especially after that, like, TIE fighter jumping scene. You know, that's so cool and so extra. And 
then you just follow that up with them battling over this transport and then he just like watches her longingly as she runs away it's like <laughs> i do like that he lets her go to be fair oh yeah yeah i do like that like so again i think the idea is he wants her to choose him he wants yeah. her to come to him will- willingly so i like that but yeah again it's just the presentation of these things it just falls off somehow yeah it is like i mean of course that scene was always going to be built up in the audience's mind because it's what we got in that first teaser and it's so visually stunning to see ray backflipping over it and then it's like undermine <laughs> again it's a star wars thing to have this ship like completely crash and burn and kylo just walk out of it like nothing happened yes but um yeah, then he's just walking towards her and then they're both kind of battling over this ship and the Knights of Ren are there. And and then I guess the point of it is to show that Rey is struggling with these dark powers and it shocks her. And even Ben seems like kind of stunned by it. Yeah. But at that point, of course, he knows that she's a Palpatine. So it's like, yeah. is she just shooting Force Lightning out of her hands because she's a Palpatine and that's what they do? Mm. <laughs> Family trait. <laughs> And also, you would think, you know, she reacts to Chewie, so does Finn, but Ben grew up with Chewie too, and it doesn't... I mean, I know he's on the dark side at this point, but you'd think there's a little bit of emotion, like Chewie is someone to him as well. Yeah, exactly. It's like, come on, Ben, you can, like, let something through. It's like, even do, like, one of the eye twitches or something. Maybe as he was walking towards her, he saw Chewie being loaded onto the other transport. Yeah, maybe. So he knew the whole time that Chewie was fine. Yeah. It almost makes you wonder if there's a really funny deleted scene of Kylo back on the Star Destroyer with um, Chewie in the interrogation room. And he like goes from being like really relieved he's alive to being like, tell me more about Rey. <laughs> but yeah, like I do think there's good aspects about all the stuff that happens here. I think yeah. Daisy's acting is really good. I feel like the heartbreak in her voice when she screams Chewie's name... I felt, I really felt that, you know, it really hit home for me because she sounds agonised by it. Yeah, I love just gratuitous shots of Adam Driver striding sexily across the desert. I thought that was well done. Um, Yeah, what did you like about it, Kirsty? Again, I love the silliness of the Knights of Ren. Like when they're (laughs) standing on that vista when they first get to Pisano and they're just looking around like, yes, boys, where should we go? Yeah, it's like their music video. And then when Chewie is like running after Ray, and you see the two of them stood there with the beat of the music, I know it's silly, but I just enjoy it. Yeah, but just the, there's just such a disconnect between them and Kylo. <laughs> like he's somewhere else completely, and then it's just here again because oh, he sensed Ray, <laughs> he sensed him, and then they both leave. It's like how does he does he travel with the Knights of Ren? Yeah, at that point, I guess he does because then they go to Kajimi, right? Yeah. You'd think there'd be like an awkward conversation, wouldn't you? It's like <laughs> Alright, can I get a ride? So, Master. Yeah. What was all that about? <laughs> it's like why didn't you capture her, Master? Like and that gets even more intense later on when you have like Ray and Kylo basically performing like a dance where they like circle each other in the hangar and there's like hundreds of stormtroopers there just watching and I feel like we made this joke when the TV spot came out, but it's like, what is going through their minds? It's like, what is going on? It's like, chill out, guys. God. Yeah. And the Stormtroopers are like, that's the number one enemy of the First Order right there. And we're not being given an order to capture her. Or? 
I like to think that Kylo has just like set some ground rules and like the number one ground rule is no one touches the scavenger apart from me. And if you do, I will invent new forms of pain Gee, I for wonder you to why. experience. <laughs> oh, I guess he just wants to torture her real bad. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's totes it. Totes it. Kylo's not very good at hiding his feelings, basically. Yeah, so then they get off Pasana. There's this like debrief session aboard the ship where they're just like chilling out and figuring out where to go next because they've got this dagger. But it's got this weird tone to it where it's like they think that Chewie just died, but they're also like, well, we've got to keep going because Chewie would have died for nothing. It's like, he's not even dead and we all know it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although, honestly, I saw it in the cinema today and there were children in front of me. I did hear gasps when they thought Chewie had died. So I think it probably works for children. Okay, I should be kind then. But yeah, they're having this debrief debrief session, which is where we get the legendary line about Rain Kylo Ren sharing the throne of the Sith. So this is one of the pivotal moments in the film for me, Kirsty. So how do you think this worked? Like who was sitting on who? Like was someone balancing on one of the arms of the throne? Were there two thrones? What's your theory? Um, <laughs> do you want me? To... What level of? Our ratedness are we talking? <laughs> oh, I didn't seriously. know we were going that far. <laughs> no, I won't, but you know. Um, Keep it PG, Kirsty. Keep it PG. Yeah, I would like to picture Ben sitting on Ray's lap, let's be honest. That's, <laughs> that's, that's the dynamic that we're working with. Yeah, I can see that. I like the thought of his and her crowns as well. And yeah, mm-hmm. just give them really nice extra Sith royalty costumes. If you're going to go in that direction, go big or go home. Okay. Yep. So then the gang travel to Kajimi, where they liaise with Sori Bliss um, because she has the contact that is Babu Frick, who is the droid smith, who can essentially hack C-3PO and get C-3PO to translate the Sith on the dagger into basic, which is English. Um and yeah, that will then give them the location of the Wayfinder. And uh, just the convolution is so frustrating. It's like, why couldn't it have been simplified? But yeah, what did you think about Zori Bliss, Kirsty? Um, I like her. I think there is good stuff here. I, I'm i conflicted about the Poe being a spice runner thing because mm. I do think it plays into unfortunate stereotypes. I know that the story group can work around the whole backstory thing for Poe by saying that he did this when he was much younger and then he became a New Republic pilot. Yeah, um, and I do like their dynamic. I think it's fun, and mm-hmm. I lo- love Zori as a character. I love Carrie Russell. I think her design is great, and I love the guys all wearing in three PO all wearing their hooded jackets. I think that's really oh cute. yes, no same. I love those jackets. They're really cute. That's funny. I think just again things are happening too quickly. She goes from being intent on turning Ray in to the next second being like, oh, I, I like you. It's like how did that happen? <laughs> Yeah, it's the sort of thing where I like that she had that arc and that evolution because I don't think a character like Jana did have that, you know? And I felt like Jana was shortchanged relative to Zori because Zori's arc is really underdeveloped and it goes way too quickly. But there is a tangible arc, you know, where she goes from wanting to sell them out to helping them. You know, it's like the most basic of basic arcs. But Jana is just like one mode from the time we meet her to the time we say goodbye to her. 
yeah, it also struck me watching the movie today that the conversation between Ray and Zori, I think that's quite possibly the only conversation Ray has in the movie of a woman who isn't Leia. Yeah. Which that's... is a real, real shame. Yeah, I think they made a mistake in teasing us with that image of Ray and Rose mm. celebration because that actually gave us some hope that we'd get some interaction and friendship between these two characters and we don't. Um, and that's pretty much Ray for the whole sequel trilogy. It's just Leia and Maz for her. Yeah. It's a real shame. Exactly. She doesn't really get to interact with female peers, which is really, really sad. So all I can say is I really hope we get that Rose conversation with Ray in the deleted scenes because god I'm just hungry for it. Yeah, but I do like Kajimi. I think it's a cool design. I like the fact that we actually see the stormtroopers kind of invading regular people living their lives, which we don't have an we don't have an awful lot of that sense of world building in the series. Yes. But this is like the first order actually out there affecting people. Mm-hmm. And you get that sense that Zori has, you know, been living in this this landscape and and Poe's kind of removed from that because he's involved in the conflict yes um, and there's there's a lot of potential here in terms of Zori being an interesting character and that she has this conflict of like oh I'm out for myself but also I still clearly care about this guy even yeah. though she rejects his like sexual interest there's clearly feeling there in terms of her like asking him to go with her to the colonies or whatever they are that's not really explained but whatever yes. and then and then giving him that key so that they can actually go forward with what they want to do and then of course turning up at the end like she clearly does care yeah exactly she's a good guy after all so I remember in advance of the movie her um, allegiance being a little bit murky and when you see the movie you understand why they were a bit cagey about it because yeah it develops through the, throughout the movie hmm. yeah and I loved Babu Freak I know that's like the most basic bitch thing but he was just great yeah, he was. He was very fun. And I loved the interactions with him in 3PO. Like, oh, he's my oldest friend. Um, it, it's Again, it's a thing about the movie that they have all these deaths and resurrections. But I do think it's a shame that this moment that was really built up in the trailer... Of course we knew that 3PO wasn't going to be killed. But it's, like, immediately undermined. And it's for comedic effect. It's like, whatever. But it's just, there's so much of that in this movie. And it seems almost cruel in terms of how things turn out at the end with the death that we're actually invested in. Yes. Yeah, I wonder what the intent overall there is or if it's even conscious on the part of the filmmakers, so. You mean with everyone getting a resurrection apart from Ben? Yeah. (laughs) Who actually does get a resurrection but then does not get a resurrection. Right. Oh my god, our poor beautiful boy. And then of course we get more interactions on um, Kajimi between Ray and Ben with... Oh well, he he's there later, isn't he? Uh, yes, that's a little bit later. So that's after they the infiltrate night, the, the Star Destroyer. There, I think. Yes, exactly. The Knights of Ren are on Kajimi hunting for them, basically. There's actually a really weird thing where we see the Knights of Ren like basically lurking and following just behind yeah. Ray, Poe and Finn when they're in space. And it's like, yeah. well, if they were doing that, then why didn't they just arrest them the moment <laughs> they landed their ship? You know, how did they possibly lose them? It just makes the Knights of Ren seem really incompetent, but whatever. <laughs> yep, so... Basically, after they get the dagger translated, they um, Kylo Ren's Star Destroyer appears above the planet and Rey miraculously senses that Chewie is alive after all. Hmm. So therefore, they have to stage a rescue mission. So they travel up to the Star Destroyer um, quickly in a fashion that the movie adheres to again and again. 
Ray drifts off from the other two to wander into Kylo's chambers, which is the most fanficy thing I've ever seen in my life. It's just ridiculous, but no, I kind of love Finn it. It gives him the opportunity to call Ray a few more times. So. Uh, oh my god! Please. What are you no. doing, Ray? 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 What are you doing? Where are you going? Can I come? <laughs> no, Finn. Just wait. Believe me. Honestly, it's fine. <laughs> Yeah, it just really killed that whole ring Finn dynamic for me, it which really sucks. Shame. I was so invested in seeing their friendship and how much it had developed, and it's just not there. Yeah, they really just make Finn so secondary to Ray and so dependent on Ray in this movie. It's heartbreaking, to I be honest. I just don't understand it because JJ was all about getting the trio together for an adventure, and it's like, why, if you weren't actually going to do these relationships, they're due? Like, what was the point? Yeah. It's not enough just to physically see them together. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And why if you're so invested in the trio, invest so much time on how they're separate mm. and how Ray actually just seems to want to get away from them most of the time. Yeah. It's just one of many very bizarre decisions. But yeah, after Ray infiltrates Kylo's quarters, they initiate a force bond. And I actually really like this one because there's sort of a game going on between them where Kylo's trying to figure out where she is. Yeah. And I enjoy that. Like, especially the way when they have their little lightsaber skirmish, they keep on knocking things over and then things will spill into the other person's environment and stuff. And then he ultimately figures out where she is when the Vader helmet pops up beside him. So yeah. I like it. Uh, I think it's a cute idea. What I guess this is again the fault of like the trailers kind of misleading and making people feel like things had a thematic resonance was them like appearing to destroy the helmet together. And mm. I remember thinking at the time, oh, wouldn't it be funny if it was just down to some force bond shenanigans and they accidentally destroy it because they're idiots? And that's exactly what happens. And it doesn't have any wider meaning for. Ben Solo addressing his legacy or what the Vader helmet was in terms of his life and Palpatine using it to manipulate him. It's just, oh, I see where you are now. Yeah. It's just, it's just a clever trick, so basically. dimensional. Yeah. It's a wasted opportunity, really, in terms of what that helmet should mean to him. Being kind, you could say that because he's so f singularly focused on Rey at this point, that the Vader helmet is almost like irrelevant to him at this point. He's just doesn't care about anything besides getting Ray to be beside him. It's because I think the impression I get from it is that after that Vader helmet is knocked into Kajimi, I don't see him stopping to pick it up. Not that they would ever show that in a movie like this where it moves so quickly, but I honestly don't think he gives a shit. He has no emotional reaction. He's not like, Ray, how dare you break my stuff? You know, he's just like, oh, you're in my room. Okay, yeah. let's go back. I do like the fact that when she finds the dagger and then he appears, she turns away from him. Yes. So it's, again, emphasising that they're not physically threatened or feel endangered by each other. Yeah, exactly. She feels like almost at ease with him, which, yeah, is a nice touch. I mean, she, she's at ease with him, but then she's obviously very uncomfortable by the direction of the conversation and she says things like, I don't want this, and she's in yeah, tears. Yeah, exactly, which is really heartbreaking and... Yeah, in both a in-world perspective and out-of-world perspective, she's like, oh no, it's going to come out that she's a Palpatine, isn't it? <laughs> I think what doesn't work for me is that Rey did want this. She always wanted the answers to her parentage. And then, of course, Ryan gave us them in The Last Jedi. And she hadn't like fully processed it and made her peace with it by the end. But you could tell she was on her way. Yeah. 
And then it's just kind of undermined by this dramatic shift in what they've decided to do with the story in that respect. And it just doesn't quite work for me. I think Daisy gives the best performance she can. Yeah. I just don't think it's right for the character. And I feel like it undermines a lot of the amazing work that JJ and Ryan had done with Ray before. Yeah. I agree with you. It's the wrong choice. And so much of it is just devastating. Like, you know, his line, you don't just have power you have his power it's like i can't believe you wrote that yeah that's like the most misogynistic line to be kind i think to an extent they're obviously framing that whole conversation between ray and kylo ren in the hangar about her heritage yeah as him seeing this is this way to convince her that they should be together that is their destiny that they both have these grand lineages that yeah this now is the reason because obviously there's the previous proposal where that was predicated on her being a nothing from nowhere and him essentially being able to give her a place in the story by making this proposal and offering her this partnership and she obviously rejects that then so i think the suggestion is that in his mind this will make a difference because now our families have this history and it's destiny that we should be together and then he adds the dyad thing on is like the cherry on top i suppose (laughs) um and it doesn't make me feel better about her being Ray Palpatine. It really doesn't. But I can understand what they were going for in those terms, you know? I can't really. I'm trying to, but it's so jumbled in terms of what their intent is versus what the character's intent is. Mm, um, yeah. So, like, you know, Ben spelling all of this stuff out, like, I'm descended from Vader, you're descended from the Emperor, we're a dyad in the Force. It's like, so are they just connected because of their blood? Like, that's so empty. And you've really had this poetry of him having this weight of his legacy, but being quite taken with this scavenger from nowhere. And now it's like, I wonder if that's a conscious thing where it's like a period drama where it's like, oh, it's okay now, we can be together because we both have respectable lineage. Mm. Um, It's just a shame because it it just attributes all of this stuff that's the rays to Palpatine. Yeah, I think it sucks. I I think it's a bit better to me because obviously it doesn't convince her, you know, that makes absolutely no difference to her. You know, if anything, it breaks her heart that he thinks it would make a difference. You know, the fact that she might be compelled by the fact that she happens to be related to this wrinkly old dude. You know, she, it makes, it doesn't move her any closer to wanting to accept him. And yeah, the clarity obviously comes when she's like, I wanted to take Ben's hand. You know, it's like, I don't give a shit about what your lineage is. I don't give a shit about what, who my grandfather happens to be. I give a shit about this good person that I can see glimmers of within you, you know? So, like, I think it's really shitty that the film went in the way it did with the Ray Palpatine thing. But I don't think we're meant to see that as the actual reason why they're meant to be together or why they feel this connection. You know, I think it's used as a way to show that Kylo being misguided. But yeah, maybe I'm just trying to make it feel better for myself. So, Well, it's just honestly hard to tell. And I, I feel like it's all got jumbled because I I don't understand or accept the, the reasons that Terrio was given for making Ray of Palpatine so late mm. in the game. Because he's said things in interviews like, well, we needed Rey to have a current problem. She needed something because after she finds out in The Last Jedi that her parents were nothing and nobody, she's content with that. And then what do we have going forward? I'm like, are you serious? Yeah. 
you, it's like, have done. you ever written a woman's story before, you, Chris? You know, <laughs> it's like it also betrays the lack of understanding of the story and the character they have already. Mm. What had been developed because what they've done is they've introduced another shadow figure for Ray to accept two thirds of the way through her story, trying to emulate presumably Luke and Vader, but a weaker version of it. When she already had a shadow figure in the Animus in Ben. And that's a story that would signify her growth into adulthood. Away from parents and into a romantic relationship. And her journey was always to come and accept and love Kylo. Yeah. Just as Luke's was to love and accept Vader. And the Palpatine stuff just doesn't fit in with any of that. Like, she doesn't learn anything significant about her parents or her grandmother or the rest of the Palpatine family. All she does is kill him, reject the legacy, take another name, and it's the cycle of repressing her trauma all over again. Yeah. No, it's, it's heartbreaking not, it's and it's wrong. <laughs> it's It feels so wrong because I think they think that it is fulfilling and we don't, and that's what's so difficult. It just makes that ending so tonally off. Yeah. And it, it does end up, unfortunately, in my mind, maybe you feel differently and I wish I did feel differently, it does undermine the connection between Rey and Kylo because it's like they didn't have faith enough in that to be the central story. They had mm. to give her this other conflict last minute and she had enough there. Yeah. And then that would have given more weight to Ben's role in terms of rejecting that dark side legacy. Because he had that character there from the start. He's saying in interviews, well, you know, we needed her to have this lineage to reject blah blah it's like you already had a character set up with that yeah it basically means you have two characters struggling with the same thing and this burden of legacy and it means you half-ass the redemption like i know he is redeemed i know he has the conversation with ham but they could have spent more time on that if they hadn't wasted so much time with all the palpatine exposition yeah which ultimately has no effect on ray in terms of her development because she's just like yeah palpatine sucks i'm gonna kill him yeah, I feel like that's my main thing where I just feel like all the Ray Palpatine stuff in this movie is a massive distraction and it takes up real estate that should have been occupied by other things. I think that's the biggest disappointment and yeah, th there's no way around it. It was just a really bad decision and I think it betrays a lack of imagination about their thinking in terms of what can happen with this character next. You know, but there are so many places they could have taken Ray that did not depend on her having some bullshit last minute parentage reveal. And yeah, it's really sad that because JJ obviously created Ray, you know, she's his baby. So I really would have expected him to have greater faith in Ray in her own right, you know, and had more ideas for how her journey could be pro progressed that didn't depend on tying her back to an old person from the original trilogy so yeah after it's watching sad. this after watching this movie i've been questioning a lot of the force awakens and how much jj decided versus how much michael Arndt and lawrence kasdan decided mm, yeah because this just if this is really the story that jj envisioned for ray like i just think it's such a disconnect from how most people who love that character see her yeah it's a real shame. It is a real pity. And it's like, like they came back and were like, oh god, we've got to find a story for Ray." And it's like, there were already stories right there that fed in pretty well to what Ryan set up in The Last Jedi. That weight of being The Last Jedi, trying to move on and evolve 
what the Jedi supposedly were after all those conversations that she had with Luke. Um, and again, I feel like they've tried to tie that in with like the Jedi speaking to her and the whole beat with me stuff, but it's just not the focus because the focus exactly. is all the Palpatine stuff. They have everything they need, really, in this movie to create a compelling story for Rey that has nothing to do with her being a Palpatine. You know, even right down to the idea of Palpatine killing her parents. So I think that could easily stay. And there's plenty of reasons why he could have been hunting this young girl and wanted her parents dead after they refused to tell him her location. You know, she didn't need to be related to him. Mm. And yeah, it's just a pity. But there's a whole lot of movie left to discuss. Oh, yeah. Let's get on to The Spy. Yes! Thank you. Um, so, yeah, Hux, my baby, baby boy. Um, I do feel like he got a really shitty deal in this movie. But God, Donald did a great job with those lines. Like, I'm the spy has consistently got the biggest laugh I've heard in the theatre <laughs> for so this movie. It's so, so ridiculous. Yeah. And I like that they at least know it's ridiculous. You know, with Poe saying, I knew it! And Finn being like, no, you didn't! Yeah. Like, that's some of the best humour for me. Because, unfortunately, quite a few of the jokes in this movie didn't land. But it is also like, okay, if Poe and Finn can accept that Hux is the spy, and they're even like, you need to come with us, they would have accepted Ben Solo. Yeah. Just saying. It just makes you think about what might have been, doesn't it? With like a big happy resistance family where it's like Hux, Kylo, the beautiful friendship gang. Yeah, and then you could have brought more, you know, I know they wanted to do it with the whole thing being force sensitive. Like they really tried to connect him with the Ray and Kylo story, but that did not come across. It would have been far better for him and Ben to actually interact. Like, you know, they're both defected from the First Order. Like this is kind of awkward, isn't it? You're my old boss. Yeah. That could have been really cool, but yeah, again, they decided not to go there. Honestly, I I love the fact that Hux would betray to spike Kylo Ren in isolation, Mm. but I do feel like he was just too fanatical, you know, and too loyal to the First Order. It was his whole being, you know. It was this focal point of his entire life. Everything he'd been raised to believe in, and Again, you either have to not have that as the character's set up in The Force Awakens or just have him have a different motive, you know? Um, Like, yeah. Yeah, no, I totally... I'm on the same page because I can enjoy it in isolation and, like, yeah, it's funny. Donald does a great job, so do the other characters. But in terms of, like, it's kind of undermining what else has been set up throughout the story. It's like, oh, it turns out that nothing matters. (laughs) yeah exactly like they're gonna have to write a hell of a novel you know about Hux as I mentioned earlier in this year between Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker to convince me that Hux became demoralized to the extent that he just did not give a shit about the First Order anymore and was Mm. willing to sell it out for the sake of a petty vendetta you know and even if they do write a really amazing stunningly great novel that meets those requirements of mine it still doesn't matter, you know, because mo- the vast majority of people won't watch it and it still won't make sense in the logic of the movies. It would help me because I'd read it. Like, hell, I'd read it. Um, Hashtag Hux deserves better. Yes, exactly. Hux deserves better. Redemption for Hux. Um, but yeah, bless him. Rest in peace. He got killed in an absolutely brutal way as well by Pride. That was really cold. 
And again, it makes sense, you know, Pride's a villain, he's not going to have any qualms about gunning someone like that down when they're a spy and a traitor. I do think it's funny that he's like, he finds it important to let Kylo know that they've been betrayed and they've found the spy. And of course, it should be huge news that Hux is the spy to Ben, but there's no, again, nothing. (laughs) It's like, yeah, yeah, I'm busy with Ray, okay? Yeah, I've got better things to worry about, thank you very much. Trying to really get this proposal nailed down. Word perfect. Take my hand, damn it. (laughs) I'm a simple man with simple desires. Certainly is. Yep. So then we jump over to Kef Beer, which is where Jana is. It's a real shame because I feel like Jana again had a lot of potential Mm. being introduced here. And I don't know. I, I just feel again stuff is just so rushed and underdeveloped and they've got they've got to find that wayfinder so we've got to have this dagger that makes no damn sense and yeah it's a shame like stanna in many ways is a great concept for a character you know like another defected stormtrooper she's been living out on her own in isolation with these other stormtroopers who defected alongside her and yeah it's just a question of simple fixes like make her inspired by finn like remove the bullshit suggestion that the force guided their actions rather than them being guided by themselves and their own sense of morality you know because that does feed into that unpleasant suggestion that yeah the stormtroopers aren't moral unless there's these exceptional circumstances where the force is like oh no actually that one's moral that one's moral that one's moral or again if you want to link her to lando like this is his long lost daughter you could have her talking to finn about what she remembers of her parents like something yeah exactly and i imagine they probably filmed stuff along those lines you know because they apparently were going to have like the reveal in the movie that she was his daughter you know but because it's just gone, it's just, yeah, it means poor Jana doesn't really have much of a story. She's just there to be this sidekick to Finn. And she fills a role that Rose could have just as easily filled. And That's what's in many ways it would have made more sense. So. I love Kelly. I love Naomi. So it's not like I want to choose between them. I would love for them both to be developed characters in this movie. But instead we end up with two underdeveloped characters. Yeah. Um Nobody wins. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't decide what they wanted to do. So again, lots of potential, great character design, great performance of what she has. Um, but again, with the whole Stormtrooper thing, there's this uncomfortable notion that, oh, these are the worthy Stormtroopers. They were able to break away because they have the Force. But fuck the rest of them, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And there's something kind of dehumanising about that. I, I don't know if, again, th- I don't know if the creators realise this, but it's very antithetical to what I understand Star Wars to be that like yeah maybe not everyone has the force in terms of able to be a Jedi but the force is there to guide everyone you know however consciously yeah no exactly and it does like strip it back to this idea of there being these chosen for chosen few and the force having its designs and its plans for them and yeah if then and then if you're not chosen by the force well good luck i guess you're kind of screwed <laughs> yeah it's it's very different to how i and of course every person who works with star wars is going to have a different idea of what the force is supposed to be but coming back to that notion we had at the beginning of like the force being like this dark almost nefarious force mm, as yeah. opposed to like life energy that lives in you and lives in me and 
like it connects everything together like those ideas that you see in so many world religions and philosophies it's like something sinister yeah exactly and i I find it kind of fascinating like which is why i want to do like a separate discussion of it another time to really go and go through it but yeah there is also something very like sinister and depressing about it as well (laughs) and yeah you shouldn't come away thinking of those concepts after you've seen what's meant to be like the jubilant culmination to a nine film saga you know it's not unreasonable to want to leave feeling a bit uplifted so again when they're on Kefbir we have Ray running away from Finn not listening to her friends again <laughs> She she's the one who discovers that she has to stand in this exact spot for the dagger to work and then it points her to the throne room when she slides out that little thing <laughs> which is so so dumb and well, so totally this... defies explanation does it mean that this dagger was made after the Death Star fell there it must have been but at the same time that doesn't make any sense it's sort of like say you have the titanic and you make a dagger based on like pointing to a particular safe in the titanic and let's say you make that dagger like based on the wreckage of the titanic as it stood in 1930 say if then someone went back to that wreckage in 1950 20 years later then the wreckage would have subsided all the shapes would have changed so it's not like a constant thing, you know? So it just doesn't work. <laughs> Even when it points to where it supposedly is inside the Death Star, the Death Star is so huge <laughs> that it wouldn't help. Unless yeah. it's like, okay, it gives her the general direction and then Ray senses the rest of it with the Force. That's the only explanation that even vaguely works, to be honest. Yeah. Again, not supposed to think about it too much, I guess. Um, so Ray ignores them when they say they have to wait till the next day because the the water's too choppy she takes a ship herself does a whole scavenging thing but finn and poe have that weird conversation i referenced earlier where finn's trying to stick up for ray and then and poe's not being the leader that he feels like he should be and he's like i'm not leia and finn agrees with him (laughs) yeah weirdly antagonistic but, yeah, yeah and i think that's meant to get a payoff later on when they're back at the base and yeah. um like pose says to finn about i need you to be a general or something in practice that doesn't mean anything mm. so i presume that was meant to be a moment consolidating that look they trust each other again now they're relying on each other again but it just didn't work basically ray's out there doing her own thing and ignoring everyone else <laughs> yeah exactly which is a consistent thread throughout the movie essentially she's always wandering off and going into reveries and stuff which i quite like but i just wish that they'd been more honest about the ramifications of that on her relationships with finn and poe you know she see like traces of frustration in them they never really call her out on it yeah exactly it's just sort of taken for granted and it's like no guys in reality you'd be really worried about her in the first instance and also probably to some extent quite deservedly pissed off you know because she's just not communicating and she's potentially endangering all of you by doing these rash things and deciding her own course of action you know but the movie has no interest in that so yeah that's the thing you could have had some really interesting conversations there where finn kind of forced her to admit that she cared about ben beyond him being the supreme leader and yeah exactly and that could have raised questions about loyalties and yeah all this stuff 
Um, but yeah, so Ray on the Death Star. I really like all the like jumping and leaping she does as she like scrabbles up to go to the yes, right place. Like that's a really nice callback to her origin as the scavenger on Jakku. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I like how Daisy acted it as well because you could really feel all this like distress and frustration and anger coming through in just how she was moving her body and stuff. So yeah, yeah. Very impressed by Daisy's performance in this film, to be honest, apart from all of the problems of the characterization, which clearly wasn't her fault. Um, And yeah, then she goes into Palpatine's throne room and she discovers this hidden side room of the Wayfinder (laughs) where she encounters Sifre! For some reason. (laughs) Yeah, like, I have so many questions. Do you think that was just purely in her head? Do you think it was like some dark side manifestation it's, it's very weird um i guess it could be the counterpoint to han being in ben's head yeah potentially yeah, it could, it could be yeah i mean uh, this kind of thing is always supposed to be ambiguous it's obviously not a literal person there it's her but yes what i find interesting about the presentation of dark ray is that when she says don't be afraid of who you are She's like smiling at Ray. She's serene. Obviously, that's contrasted with the next bit where she's like snarling at her with the teeth. But <laughs> I don't know. I find it interesting, and I don't know if this is the intent that Dark Ray is almost like the most at peace with herself. We see Ray. Yeah, don't be afraid of who you are. Like great advice for Ray to take. Yeah, it's almost like an advertisement for embrace that darkness, Ray. Be bad, be wicked. Well, I I honestly thought that this story was moving to a point where it would be like, it is okay to embrace the darkness in you because that mm. that's what makes us human as long as you don't let it consume you. I thought that's yeah. what Ryan was handling pretty well in The Last Jedi. Yeah, but I definitely think they like jettison that. Yeah, it's just an unfortunate... It's like, oh, well, you're dark because your granddad's dark. So yeah. this is why you have dark, Ray yeah exactly and as much as i love ben solo he doesn't have any trace of dark left in him basically and that's the person that ray can love you know because he is this person who's motivated by the light side of the force you know he's a fundamentally good person as we see him behave in the movie and yeah there's not that much about resolving of the gray and the rise of skywalker basically it is Mm. pretty black and white i think that's what makes kylo's Ben's death harder to swallow because at that point, as Han actually says, Kylo Ren is dead, my son is alive. Yes. But then they have Ben Solo die. Yeah. You know? So. No. Just cuts it a bit more. (laughs) It's more difficult for people to accept because you already went through the point of Kylo Ren dying and now he is good again. Yeah. It just makes it feel a bit cruel, I think, in terms of cruel to the characters. Anyway, when when Ben appears on, I do find it kind of funny actually. The whole way this is set up with him like catching the wayfinder. Yes, I love that. And then he's like, "Look at yourself." <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, Ray should be really ashamed of herself, and it's like you're clearly just trying to get her to go with you. Yeah. He crushes it. And he's like, "The only way you're gonna get Excal is with me." Yeah, I really love the dialogue actually from Kylo in this scene because you really see his own vulnerability and his own insecurities. Mm. Like, I especially like love that invocation of Leia, you know, and how he's like, now neither of us can go back to her, you know? So clearly you have to come with me because we're all each other has left. That's clearly the mentality he's operating from. 
And Adam Driver's performance in the scene is great. Like, I love how he gives this, um, like, tentative little smile as he's saying that about neither of them being able to go home. Because, yeah, he's clearly so wounded and so hurt by everything that's happened to him in his life. But I interpret it as him finally seeing this opportunity to have someone and to have someone else be with him for the first time in years and years. And yeah like it's just all this heartbreaking like lack of understanding of where Ray is and what what has happened to her means for her options and stuff and I think his perception is warped which yeah it's because he's so embedded in the dark side and he is but at the same time all of this stuff is clearly setting up his redemption moments later oh of course yeah yeah so yeah, so it's not I'm, too painful so he gets out of it quite quickly yeah that's, I'm in two minds about how effectively it's done because it is like a heel turn whereas I had hoped for something a bit more nuanced but and in terms of the Death Star scene as a whole I do think it doesn't quite live up to the idea of bringing the Death Star back as a visual yes. like, this could have happened anywhere and that's what gets me about a lot of the set design and, and what they chose to do with this story they have all these iconic places and they don't really do them justice yeah, it's, it's like, true. That, that could have happened anywhere. Yeah, so I know obviously before the movie we were really taken by the idea of the Death Star as this like crumbling gothic mansion, mm. you know, like in lots of old literature. And yeah, to an extent that's there and how it's presented, but yeah, it's just not used in that way. It's hard to describe, you know, like I feel like, yeah, I'll have more to say on it when I'm a bit more adjusted to the movie and yeah, have had more time to think about it. No, I agree. Like, you know, we were thinking, oh, this is where Ben's grandfather redeemed himself. This is where Luke turned him back with his love and the Emperor was defeated. I kind of thought that they might reference some of that, but yeah. it's not. There is like a musical reference to that because you hear the Vader redemption yeah. music as yeah. Ray is first entering the room. But yeah, it's not there in the characters, essentially. It's just overlaid and unfortunately it feels more like a nostalgic thing than the character thing. yeah exactly it's for the audience I, it makes you wonder is ben aware of what happened here is ray i doubt it yeah so again it's stuff that means just like that ending in my opinion it means something to the audience it doesn't mean something to the characters or at least that's not clear enough yes kylo's crushing the wayfinder like i love the little fight scene that ensues where he doesn't have a weapon and he's just dodging <laughs> It looks like he's dancing. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. He's like, oh, holy shit, holy shit. I went too far. I went too far. Sorry, Ray, sorry. And then he like clicks his heels together and jumps down the hole. <laughs> yes. And it's goofy, but I love that sort of goofiness. So yeah. like that's A plus for me. Um, what did you think about the whole um, Death Star fight among the waves that followed? So I had been expecting some dialogue here. But mm. I do think it works for what it is. I really enjoy the prequel jumps. I know that not everyone will feel that way. Yeah, um, I, I'm with you. I love the prequel jumps. Yeah, it's I, silly, I think I've already established like that. But yeah. Um, yeah, there's just this like weightlessness to them. And it, it's an evolution from how we saw their fight in The Force Awakens. So you don't want it to be the exact same thing. And I, I think the fight is choreographed really well because I've seen people point this out as if it was unintentional, but I think it really is that the more they fight you can see them tiring because their heart is not in it. They're not fighting each other because they want to kill each other. Yeah. This is like the culmination of everything that they have these feelings for each other, but they're still struggling to express it. Of course, 
once Leia dips in and Rey stabs him, she immediately regrets it. And that's what allows her to finally express her love for him. Yeah. But in a way that frightens her because she, she still can't fully accept it because she doesn't think that he has a chance of turning at this point. Yeah, exactly. She's still thinking back to that Sith throne with her and Kylo on it. So I think in her mind, she's thinking, oh my God, if I give in to my feelings for this man, then that future will come about. We'll end up on that Sith throne together. I think that's what they were going for. Mm. I think what gets me (laughs) is that, again, I don't think this is intentional on the creator's part. And maybe because it's men writing the story and they haven't really thought about what Ray wants but it makes me wonder if Ray had taken his hand and they'd been on the throne together would that have been a happier ending for her than what we get <laughs> yeah you know your movie's broken when that's the line of thinking your viewers are going down <laughs> because obviously it's not on one level you don't want Ray to turn to the dark side you do want Ben to redeem himself but when all that happens they end up alone and dead so yeah I feel like that would have been the best outcome. But yeah, um, to go back to this whole idea of um, Ray stabbing Kylo, I really love it. And Me too. <laughs> I feel like that's something I would have never said before seeing it in context. But I think it's just such a great moment because in many ways it's giving the people who really wanted Ray and Kylo to be enemies and to hate each other what they want. You know, Ray stabs Kylo. The end. Like, And it just shows how completely unsatisfying and tragic it is that that happened you know and how Ray instantly realizes that she's done something terrible and shameful and goes to put it right you know so I felt like that was all handled really really well and I love it. It makes it very clear that that was never the goal and it's never what either of them wanted. Yeah. Um, And it's a I know it's done in not the best way and I've seen a lot of people express confusion about what Leia was actually aiming for here but it does kind of allow Leia to have a role in Ben's redemption beyond just hand talking about her, but like that she reaches out to him at the last second to let him know that she loves him still. Yeah. Um, I've just, <laughs> I think some people, and I get it, it's kind of confusing, but I think some people are wondering if she reaches out to him with the goal of distracting him so that Ray will then stab him. <laughs> but, yeah. But with the understanding that then that would turn into him having that reckoning mm. I, I don't know it's all yeah. kind of muddled I've seen the movie five times and I still don't understand what's going on there completely right. again we shouldn't think about it too much yeah exactly but again in the abstract I do like that they had Leia intervene you know yeah. like I feel like they always wanted to make Leia pivotal to Ben's redemption and to bring in her son back and I feel like they did their best to make that happen in very difficult circumstances. So I'll trash them for stuff like Ray Palpatine, which was absolutely in their control because they could have done anything and they still chose to do that, which is really shitty. But I'm going to have a lot of empathy and give them a lot of leeway when it comes to how they handled the Leia stuff because I know that they were working with such limited options. You know, I will be honest and say that I don't think it 100% works for me because... I don't think the... Again, I'm not sure JJ and Terrio understand, like Ryan clearly did, the subtext of what they're working with a lot of the time. So Mm. in this duel, you have, again, that tension between Rey and Kylo, and then suddenly you have his mum pop up. And it's like, mum, leave me alone, I'm with my girl. (laughs) Yeah, kill in the mood. Kill in the mood. (laughs) It 
again it's echoed at the end where you have this icky um weird convergence where they're trying to have these two stories for ray where she falls in love with one of the skywalkers so she joins the family that way and then she's also quasi adopted by two of them who are siblings (laughs) it's like they're trying to have you know remember when we were first discussing the force awakens and of course it wasn't immediately clear to most of the audience but we were talking about how we believed that romantic Raylo was the way that the story was going to go and and that would be how ray would find her belonging but we did also have the caveat that had they decided that these two would either be related or have a quasi brother and sister dynamic that that would be another way that ray and kylo would bridge that chasm love each other forgive each other and she would join the family yeah. they tried to do both <laughs> why yeah, it's very strange because they clearly committed in a more thorough way to this idea of a romantic relationship, you know, because stuff like take my hand, that's inherently coded as romantic, you know, it's like a proposal and then obviously it all culminates with a kiss. So then when it switches back to the familial thing, then it's like, what what, what are yeah. you doing? You, you can't have both. If you have Ben Solo as the Skywalker of this trilogy that she falls in love with, and you make that pretty clear. And then at the end, she's taking the family name that wasn't his, but was his uncle's. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. It makes it oddly incestuous. Yeah. Which raises lots of questions about JJ. Sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, like, it's. I don't think they fully understand the subtext of what they're working with. <laughs> no, it's true. I think that comes across very clearly in the interviews of someone like Terrio, where he clearly thinks it comes across in one way, but very very few other people seem to have got what he got from it Mm. and yeah that's a big issue yeah and it does have ramifications for how we understand this as a coming of age story for a woman who was a girl at the beginning and is journeying into adulthood it's undermined somewhat by having this adopted subtext at the end there yeah it's just this regression isn't it you wouldn't have that for a male character yeah no i agree um, yeah, and we also get the best line in the movie, in my opinion, at the point when Ray heals Kylo Ren, where she says, I did want to take your hand, Ben's hand. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a showy line, it just is what it is, and it's a plain statement of fact. And I think that's so beautiful, because that is Ray's love confession, essentially. And that, to me, is what sold me on the kiss that comes later, because... Yeah, it's the fulfillment of that. You know, it's her being rewarded for that faith in Ben and for seeing him in the first place. And yeah, but then obviously it makes me feel awful for Ray because of what happens next. But oh God, like it's a great line in isolation and I like it as a turning point in their relationship and a turning point for Ben because I don't think it's any one thing that makes him like drop being Kylo Ren altogether and throw that saber away. But I do think hearing those words from Ray, hearing that acknowledgement of the fact that she cares about him in that way, I think that was a pivotal thing. Yeah, I think there's a few things here that happen obviously pretty closely together. But I think by the time she says that to him, he kind of already is Ben again. Yeah. Um, Because she's healed him and he's responded with shock, like, you're healing me, you think I'm worthy of this? Am I worthy of being saved? Um, yeah. And the scar's gone. And then when she leaves, he's doing his whole wander amidst the fog, like, (laughs) ironic broodiness, waiting for Han (laughs) to turn up. Um, Yes. So I think he he kind of, he's already redeemed at that point. He just hasn't expressed it or figured it out. 
Yeah, exactly. At that point, he has everything he needs to come back, really. It's just putting that into action. Um, yeah, how did the um, scene with Han work for you? Um, I'm kind of mixed on it. I really like it as an idea. Mm-hmm. I wish that they had more original dialogue. Like, I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to spoon feed to the audience that this is how he wished that scene in The Force Awakens had gone. Yes. Um. So... I get why it's there. I just kind of, again, wish that it had been executed better. And I think the performances are great. Adam, yeah. especially, is amazing. Um, I just, this movie has an unfortunate habit of just copying dialogue. Yes, that's um, very true. And I get what they're trying to do. It just strikes me as lazy. Yeah. Like, I think you can do it to a certain extent and it's fine and effective. It's just, it does happen so much. It happens a lot in the Ray and Carlo scenes too. And yeah, <laughs> I do wonder if it was maybe like JJ having a crisis of confidence. It's like, oh shit, Last Jedi was really well written. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I could use a few lines from that. Obviously he uses lines from his own script with The Force Awakens, but yeah, like it makes you wonder, was Lawrence Kasdan responsible for a lot of that whip smart dialogue? Because not much of it in evidence here, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I I like that he throws the lightsaber away and everything, and there's the whole dad I know. Like, yeah, you know, it's, it's good Star Wars cheesiness. Yeah, I do really like the scene with Kylo and Han, oh, even at the same time as I think your point is completely valid. Because, um, yeah, I, I think it was just clearly about having Han serve a role that I think Leia would have served had Carrie not passed away. And I imagine that's why Harrison came back, you know, it's just like, yeah, we need to do this for Carrie. Mm -hmm. um, so on a metatextual level, that made it quite moving for me. And I think both the actors just killed it. I love the idea of Ben, like, accepting and facing up to the fact that his mother's gone. And you can see how heartbroken he is to realise that, you know. And again, because Adam's so good in that moment, I think you see in his face all the regret and all the remembrance of how much time he's lost and how he'll never get to see his mother again. And obviously there's this idea of reunion in the afterlife, but we'll get to that. And yeah, it just makes you feel a bit choked up thinking about it, to be honest. It's so sad and heartbreaking. It's so sad, but I just don't think this movie properly addresses the stuff that it sets up in terms of mm. the horror of this boy being ripped away from his family at an early age targeted from birth by palpatine yeah and that's not it's not really addressed in a way that does justice to the horror of that like the closest mm -hmm. you get at the end to any of that stuff being addressed is when palpatine says oh as i fell this last skywalker will too and he throws him down the pit <laughs> but it's not really about ben at the end it's about ray yeah and exactly. It's really strange. It's like you've just got this like weird undertone of, oh yeah, Palpatine's been there from the beginning, manipulating Ben Solo, we never really had a chance. And then none of that is really brought to the surface. It's just like, oh well, he's got to make a choice. It's like, did you ever give him a choice? Mm. Yeah. So it actually makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, for for four years we've been rooting for the redemption of this character but actually and and kind of joking along the way is like oh ben solo did nothing wrong but it kind of turns out that he did not stand a chance against palpatine deciding mm. from the beginning that he was going to target this boy for reasons that aren't really that clear because at the end then he's like oh i want ray yeah it's just so strange it is really strange and <sighs> 
yeah it's heartbreaking <laughs> sorry then it, kind of undem- yeah. it undermines the weight of this redemption in a way like i love it i wanted to see this character redeemed i wanted to see ben solo but what did he have to redeem himself from if it turns out that he was being manipulated all along yeah like it's very tricky so i understand why they didn't go more into it because obviously it is ultimately ray's story she's the protagonist kylo was a foil to her but you're right in that if that is the case you shouldn't be doing all this stuff with kylo and like creating all this like pain and tragedy in his backstory that requires resolution that you then don't follow through with yeah that's the thing all of these things were choices they they didn't have to include all that stuff about palpatine being there from the beginning it could have been ben made terrible decisions of his own free will and he has to choose to come back from that that would be a classic redemption arc but what they've done is they tried to have it both ways where there's this horrible tragedy of the skywalkers being manipulated for generations but then at the end it's okay because this guy's granddaughter takes their name and then they rise again Mm. like what yeah what does that say about ben solo's life and the fact that you ripped this family apart for no good reason yeah it's just nonsensical really oh let's look at (laughs) the classic luke skywalker force ghost scene oh my god yeah like uh, so many questions so many problems so actually i'll start off with a positive because yeah dark side dark side stay at bay I love that whole image of Rey just really upset, really like overcome, basically, throwing stuff at the TIE Fighter and just burning it, you know, because she's like, I'm done with this. I, I need to stay here. I don't want any part in this, you know, going through the whole Luke thing about rejecting the world. You know, I like to see her indulge her very understandable anger and pain in that way. So I appreciated that scene. But then it's instantly screwed up by Luke turning up. I, I agree with you. I want Rey to have the freedom and agency to make bad decisions to feel anger and pain and heartbreak but then it's kind of undermined by oh well now we need this guy to come in and play father figure when actually fuck you luke you weren't doing anything for her in the last jedi yeah and oh it turns out we knew all along that you were palpatine but we just lied to you yeah like the whole scene just makes luke come across as an even bigger asshole than he ever did before and i don't think that's the intention so it's like, do you not remember how you left these characters? She was beating him up. Mm. Like, at least have him apologise to her. But it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, here are the sabres. Blood's thicker than water. Or, yeah. You know, just like, I don't know, it's such a disconnect. Yeah, Luke knows best. <laughs> yeah, and the whole flashback it's, it's so weird. And for a start on a visual effects level, they both look really plastic. Yeah, it looks like Battlefront 2 or something. Yeah, it's not good. They just shouldn't have included it. They should have just stuck to Luke telling the story, to be honest. Um, But yeah, this is where I wanted to talk about what I think is going on with um, Leia and her having that premonition that her son would die at the end of her Jedi training. Because what I've come to think is happening and what I really don't like is Leia obviously gave up her Jedi training when she was pregnant because she was fearful of what would become of her baby if she continued and then like obviously she sees ben go dark she sees him like become kylo ren then become supreme leader and it looks like at that point she realizes holy shit at this point i have to make a decision and this girl this ray who's a palpatine and 
again because of this movie's bullshit logic is therefore at risk of going down the dark path i have to resume my training to try and shepherd her and to try and help her stay on the path of the light even if that means that my son will die as i predicted so i kind of feel like she's having to make that ultimate sacrifice of her child's life in order to resume the jedi path to help ray and i really don't like that and i find that really really upsetting that's awful yeah i hope i'm wrong do you have an alternative explanation (laughs) because i'd like an alternative one I don't because to me it just didn't make any sense. I was like, but Re- Leia gave this up, so why is she tra- training Ray? And mm. I just don't. Even the subtext of oh yeah, she stopped doing that when she got pregnant. <laughs> it's like oh god, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. Way to go. <laughs> yeah, this is Leia Organa we're talking about, but um, I don't know. It's bad. It's really the fact that really they bad. CGI and depressing. Leia after they expressly said they weren't going to do that too. Yeah. I can only assume the family were okay with it because it was a younger Leia. Don't specify that you're not going to do it if you actually haven't decided. Yeah, like just this whole situation with Leia and Ben and that premonition, it just feeds in again to the idea of there being this malevolence to the Force. Yeah, it's just this defeatist, cynical thing where it's like, oh yeah, you're going to die. There's nothing you can do about it. Even if you turn back and try and make things right, you're still going to die. Yeah, exactly. It's just very, like, hopeless, essentially. And it's just like, well, what the fuck's the point? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. if you're just going to die and it doesn't matter if you're good and it doesn't matter if you make the right choices. Which to me is like the opposite of what Star Wars always stood for. So I'm having a really hard time with this. Yeah, it's really shitty. And it's honestly why I feel so strongly about the importance of fans in terms of standing up for what Star Wars should be. And like, look, what can we do with this? How can we begin to make this right? And I know it's not the same. You know, I know it's not a movie with the actors playing these characters, but I feel like you have to do something as fans in these situations because, yeah, otherwise you just feel really powerless and become defeatist yourself. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's a story. It's being told by other people who might have... I've said this before, just coming to terms with this movie, I have to just make peace with the fact that Terrio and JJ clearly have very different ideas of what Star Wars is about to me. Yes. Um, Things that almost seem polar opposite, like that, you know, not being able to escape your destiny thing. And I don't even think it's articulated very well because, again, coming back to the whole Ray Palpatine thing, they do seem to think, based on what they've said in interviews, that that's about escaping your destiny and claiming it for yourself and creating something apart from your family but it's not really and it's definitely not that case for ben solo and the rest of the skywalkers they're victims to the force yeah and it's also just not as widely relatable as the original backstory for ray was which was that if you're poor and isolated and you're no one special basically you can still be important and you can still become part of wider events by making certain choices and taking certain opportunities and i feel like that's way more like relatable thing than all your grandfather is an evil wizard this version of ray's story is nowhere near as relatable for the vast majority of the audience as ray nobody was because that really and that's why there have been nobodies and orphans in fairy tales that's been a strong archetype for thousands of years because it does resonate with people and you could understand that class social difference 
between Kylo Ren's story and Rey's. There was a point to it. Exactly. There are lots of myths about children from noble families being like hidden and raised in impoverished circumstances due to like prophecies and stuff, including prophecies specifically where their grandparents want them dead. And I think that's all really interesting and I want to look into that more later on and think about, okay, is this what they were going for? But yeah, I feel like those stories are less remembered now and less resonant because yeah, that speaks to a very unique set of circumstances. If this seems unreasonable, just let me know because mm-hmm. like, I'm aware that sometimes as fans we have really strong expectations that just weren't set up. But I thought at the end of The Last Jedi, when they have that confrontation on Crate and Luke says, see you around, kid. Mm. I really thought that that was feeding in into the last movie. And of course, it's up to that creator to do whatever they want. But I thought that set up really well the idea of Luke and Ben having scenes together as opposed to Luke and Ray, who kind of seemed like their relationship had run its course. Yeah, I think that comes back to what we said earlier about JJ and Chris having all these opportunities and all these openings in The Last Jedi, but just not seeing or understanding them, you know, and therefore doing nothing with them. And that is one of the biggest wasted opportunities, in my opinion. Because, yeah, there's so much more loaded and interesting with Luke and Ben, and there's just nothing about that in this movie. And, yeah, it's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. Although, on a slightly less depressing note, I just want to point out how hilarious Mark Hamill's wig is for the reshoot scenes. It's one of the funniest wigs I've ever seen because it's just... It's so hilariously bad. I think I wrote on Twitter that he looks like a drunk hippie or something. And He looks yeah. really bad. The colouring is really strange for this Force ghost. You don't see other Force ghosts this blue and he doesn't look this blue at the end with Leia. <laughs> yeah, like honestly, know, watching on? it today, I was looking at him and I was like, Luke, did you take something? <laughs> <laughs> Have you been like modified by some substance that you can get in like the Neverworld? <laughs> and also... I'd have to say, Mark Hamill's performance in The Last Jedi was absolutely incredible. He blew me away. Yeah. And this is the kind of performance that I'd been worried about before we saw that movie. <laughs> oh, Marky Mark. This oh, is where Luke's story ends. Yeah. It's a bummer, isn't it? All I can say is that the performance was so poor that it honestly made me glad that there wasn't more of him. I was like, yeah, if this is what he's bringing to this movie, I'm glad he's literally in it for one scene. Ouch. Yeah. Sorry, that sounds really catty, but it just wasn't good. Yeah, I just don't know what happened there. Like, Ryan yeah. got an amazing performance out of him. As much as he had his own personal reservations for the story, he gave it 100% and it showed, and this just does not. I honestly think, in large parts, I don't want to throw Mark under the bus, you know, not that he's, like, listening for this podcast and is, like, <laughs> hanging on to our every word in this four-hour recording. Yeah, like, I honestly think... It, it seems particularly bad because so much of his screen time is clearly from scenes that were reshot. Mm. Because when he first appears walking out the flames, he's wearing what's either his own hair or a wig that is much, much better. And then once he and Ray sit down on the rock together, he's in the reshoot wig. And basically, whenever he's wearing the reshoot wig, his performance is particularly bad and stiff. (sighs) So I can just imagine that he was just there and like, oh, God, why the fuck you brought me in again? I don't want to deal with any of this bullshit. Where's my paycheck? Yeah, exactly. He was just sleepwalking through it, essentially. Because the lines he says that were not reshot, which you can tell because they have the better wig, he is a bit better. You know, he's clearly trying a bit more. 
Like the last line he has, which is, you have everything you need. Like, yeah, it's yet another repeated line because mm-hmm. they don't seem capable of writing original lines in this movie, at least good ones. It's like poetry. Like when he delivers that line, he says it with some measure of conviction and emotion, which is not true of most of what he's saying. And the lifting of the X-Wing. Ooh, that's like the worst kind of fan like, service. Basically winking at the cameras. Especially with that music, especially with the Yoda music. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, it's just so bad. And also, in The Last Jedi, we saw that his door had the X-Wing wing as the door. And also, that bloody ship has been underwater for like eight years. <laughs> it just simply should not be flyable. Again, to go back to the Titanic, because I'm clearly thinking about Titanic a lot today for some reason. Like, if you were to levitate the Titanic out of the ocean bed, it would not be in a saleable condition. You know, it would just sink again. <laughs> That X-Wing should just sink right down back to where it came from. <laughs> it's like, no. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, I guess all you can say is that all of this stuff of the ships, like Ochi's ship, which is also miraculously well-preserved, Luke's X-Wing, that TIE fighter that Kylo finds somehow, presumably on the wreckage of the second Death Star, ships in the galaxy far, far away just have really great manufacturing standards. <laughs> That's the only conclusion. I'm well aware that we're like nitpicking at this point because Star Wars has always been like this. Yeah, of course. I just think all of this stuff would bother us so much less if the actual story held up. Yes, of course. You know, I'd be, I'd be like, whatever. If the scene felt like it earned these moments and if the performance was good enough, and but it doesn't. So you end up looking at all of it like, oh god, this is all bad. Whereas Star Wars, generally, it's like, okay, that doesn't make sense, but I'll let it go because it's Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. It's true. This movie just encourages people to be pedantic, essentially. <laughs> cool. Then there's a bunch of stuff at the Resistance base, which, oh, honestly, I don't have much to say. And it's um, like almost 10 p.m. here. So, yeah, like st- stuff happens like R2-D2 restores C-3PO's memory. I do like that part, actually. That's a, it's a fun gag where he's like, oh, what are you doing? Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, you're right. I do like that. I'm just, I'm just sounding cynical, I think. Oh, no, so no. Tired. It's okay. I get it. It's like, yeah. this is the part of the movie where you really want to focus on the important stuff. And Ray's obviously flying to X-Call in the X-Wing with the helmet. And um, she's showing her friends the way. So, yes. that's, you know, that's that explains how they get there. Doesn't explain how the rest of that hodgepodge fleet gets there, but whatever. Yeah, um. exactly. And just quickly, again, I don't want to talk about this for too long. We'll think about it too hard because it's a path to certain madness. <laughs> but the Sith fleet, what the fuck? Okay, what? are these people zombies? Because <laughs> Pride's there and he's very much alive. He was in the First Order. Has, yes. Has Palpatine slowly been siphoning off First Order employees? But the Final Order is so much more... It's, it's vast. There's yes. thousands of these Star Destroyers. They all have <laughs> Death Star capabilities, which is just, come on, JJ. <laughs> like, yeah. Bigger, better. Oh, God. Yeah, like, I really wanted to believe that Palpatine had just magic them into existence. That's the only explanation, yeah. Well, that's the thing that is an explanation, unfortunately. What? Where did they come from? In the Visual Dictionary, it either states outright or it implies that all the officers, all the military personnel like on these ships, they're basically the children of Sith cultists. What? <laughs> so you know all the people in the arena when Rey goes into like Exegol oh, so to those meet were Palpatine. Real people. 
Apparently, yes. Oh my god. And they reproduce like rabbits to like staff this entire fleet of Star Destroyers. Okay. And it's honestly so fucking ridiculous. So we're going to kill all these children that never had a say in anything, just like the First Order Stormtroopers, <laughs> and not address the horror of this entire situation. Yeah. Okay. All good. Honestly, I just have to deny it. I just have to, like, switch my brain off. Like, after I read that, I was like, nope. So not only does nope. Palpatine fuck, but he has all his loyalists <laughs> fuck as much as they can to make as many children to turn into soldiers and wait under the ice for how many years to be like, hey, Kylo, want a fleet? You can have I- it as long as you kill my granddaughter. Oh, my God. I really, really... Yeah, I just want to plot all of this out. We need to have a separate podcast on Palpatine's motivations and what the fuck is going on, Kirsty. <laughs> it will drive us mad, but it will be fun. God. And I get it that, like, you know, if something goes wrong, he immediately switches to a different tack. But yes. it's like, you've been putting all of your eggs in the Ben Solo basket for 30 years, <laughs> and then somehow you didn't realise he was in love with your granddaughter, so had yeah. no intention of killing her. So now it's like, oh, it's okay. I'll just turn Ray instead. It's like, why yeah. didn't you try to do that from the beginning? How long has he known that Ray was his granddaughter? When did he realise that she'd shown up again and that was her? Because was it when Snoke was, became aware of her? When he was like, bring her to me. And then she escaped from Kylo. And like, that's just when. <laughs> doesn't add up. These are all excellent questions. Um, Courtney from Who Talks First has had this harbinger of doom like thing about Ray yeah. for a long time. And this suggestion that Ben Solo fell to the dark side in Ray's place and that's something that she's heard for a while and like essentially it does seem like that happened and again you have to infer this it's not explicit in the movie but what I think is happening is that Palpatine discovered he had a grandchild in Ray, and he sent Ochi to bring this grandchild back to him alive because we find out from Dio late in the movie when Dio's talking to Finn that Ochi was under orders to take the little girl back alive. He wasn't meant to kill Ray, So that would indicate that Palpatine's initial plan was to groom Ray as like some sort of successor or vessel for him or whatever, you know, who knows specifically what he okay, wanted to do. Okay, so this was at the point when Ben Solo was around 15 years old. Yes. Okay, so before that, presumably, Ben hadn't heard any voices in his head, had been living a good Jedi life. And then when Ray was abandoned... Palpatine thought she was dead. Then Palpatine started turning Ben Solo. Is that is that the idea? I think potentially what could have happened. So Ray was born when Ben Solo was ten years old. Yeah. So let's say that Palpatine, when Ray didn't did not exist, Palpatine was perhaps looking at Ben Solo as an option. So it was maybe like talking <laughs> to him a bit, trying to set him up a bit, and then this like new child came into existence and it's like oh hang on actually that one's better because she has my blood so then switched attention to trying to get Ray for a while but then lost her for good due to the stupidity of what happens in the flashbacks in the movie and then he switches back to Ben Solo and grooming him which again I know is all sinister as fuck and depressing but I think that's what happened but yeah don't take it to my grave Okay, and meanwhile, the First Order was recruiting four sensitive stormtroopers, but never realised and never trained any of them on the dark side. <laughs> Again, this is the part where I said, if you think about it too hard, it's a path to certain madness. 
Okay. Like that's why I was focusing only on Rain Kylo <laughs> because to go beyond that, it's like nope, 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 nope. Is Palpatine so, yeah. also out there trying to groom Broom Boy? <laughs> like you see, he's not from a special lineage though. So then yeah, he doesn't matter. That matters. Even yeah. though we have Jedi for millennia who were just force sensitive and came from families that weren't necessarily. Yeah, Palpatine's clearly all about those great dynasties in this movie. Like whatever the fuck that means. Yeah, it's a really creepy eugenics undertone. I've got to be honest. Yeah, it's not nice. You'd honestly um, think, based on the whole eugenic thing, he'd be more interested in getting Rain Kylo together. You know, playing granddaddy matchmaker. Well, that's another thing. He doesn't seem to have any idea of that. Doesn't know about the dyad until he starts drawing on their life force. Like <laughs> it's just. It know. does make Palpatine seem a bit dumb and clueless. Well, it's weird because he absolutely knew what was going on with Anakin and Padme. Like, that was integral to his plan. So why wouldn't <laughs> you think it here? Yeah, honestly, watching it today, I was just thinking, is Palpatine Consinal? Because <laughs> we, we kept saying that in The Last Jedi, we kept saying that about Snoke, that he seemed to underestimate their connection. But so is Palpatine when he was, like, the king of using that stuff to his advantage. Yeah, he's clearly lost that magic touch like in the interim, you know, being dead clearly took it out of him. Which is weird because somewhere along the way he presumably had a romantic sexual relationship <laughs> to have a yeah. son. I so... want to be introduced to her. Oh God, I, To be honest, as much as I'm like, I really don't want a Palpatine love story mm. considering he'd have been emperor at that point. But actually yes, I would yes. like to know because for God's sake, Star Wars never seems to care about the grandmothers. Yeah, it's true. There's no reference to Padme in this entire trilogy. And, oh, yeah, I had a son, but who gives a fuck what my wife's name was? Or, of course, it has to be a son. It can't be the daughter. Like, oh, God, Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty unpleasant. Bloodlines are always about the men. Yeah. It's really grim, isn't it? So yeah, we obviously get Ray turning up on Exegol to confront Palpatine, and Palpatine cycles through like a best hits of compilation of dialogue <laughs> from mostly the original trilogy with a yeah, few Yeah, it's very Return of the Jedi. Yeah, with a few prequel lines peppered in here and there. Like he does some nice things when he's trying to manipulate Ray. I do like the idea that she has to submit to him and become a vessel for him to use if she wants to save her friends. But again, it is just repetition of, oh, you have to do this to save your friends, Luke, from the Emperor. Yeah. He does the whole, like, oh, Luke Skywalker, your master, had his family here. I'm the only family you have. It's like, yeah, so why aren't you going with the whole, be with me and you'll finally have your family? Mm, Yeah. I feel like that would have been a way better angle and way more emotive. But it's really weird because after setting Ray up as a Palpatine, it's like they don't actually want to engage with what that means. So like maybe they thought, oh, hang on, yeah, it's a bit gross that she's the grandchild of this guy and we don't want people to linger on that too much because it might affect their perception of Ray. Like but yeah, like again, it just it's just such a confused movie, essentially in what they were going for and they seem to have changed their minds about what they were going for at several yeah, points. Yeah, because he, he tries to do the whole your parents were weak and you're just like them and she's like, no, my parents were strong because at that point she's been told that she was left for her own good. Which yeah. totally undermines that opening sequence of The Force Awakens where, oh, which is so perfect. It's like, actually, this is all for Ray's own good so don't be sad. Yeah. Um, 
it really bothers me. Like, I'd even been more open to that revisionism of, like, Ray being left behind. If they'd tried to say something like, when Kylo Ren was looking in your mind and saw about this exchange of money, he'd misinterpreted and the parents were actually paying Uncle Plur, like, bribing him, please, right. please look after this child. You know, something like that would have been a bit better. But he actually reiterates, they sold you to protect you. So yeah. there's still monetary gain. Yeah, exactly. What? And like they then went to like drink themselves, like <laughs> dr- drown their sorrows in the local pub. It's like what the fuck? Yeah, it's just again, like all it needed was a script doctor for some for stuff like that. You know, you need a bit more than a script doctor for Ray Palpatine. But in terms of like the revisionism of yeah, just don't have them sell her, God. Because yeah, they it's and it creates this dissonance where. In the flashbacks, they do seem like kind, noble, loving parents. You know, there's no even remote suggestion that they were drunkards. You know, they do not seem like people who would be seeking to make a quick buck from their child. You know, but that's still at odds with what Ben is saying. So, mm. And then yeah. he's like, I never lied to you. So and I, I believe it in that obviously he didn't know she was a Palpatine until Palpatine told him. So he wasn't lying, lying, but he saw this in her head and there's no explanation for why. Mm. Oh, it's just such a mess. Anyway, yeah. back to Ray on Exegol. She gives in pretty quickly because he's like, well, look, I'm going to open my sunroof here. You can see your friends dying. you got to join me. And she's like, okay. Yeah. Did you definitely interpret that as her giving in to him or was it more potentially yeah, because like a I trick? Think, I think she gives in so that when Ben arrives, that's the that makes that all the more important. Yeah. No, I, I think I lean towards that. that there is a chance. Yeah. No, so I guess it's meant to be her at her lowest point, isn't it? It's like, yeah, there's no other way out of this. I have to do this. There's no choice. Yeah. But it's yeah. just it's such a contrast from when Snoke's doing essentially the same thing, because there's so much redundancy here. Because, of course, Brian went through the effort of pushing things beyond the narrative constraints of Return of the Jedi. And because JJ apparently is very unimaginative, he was like, no, wait, I need the villain so that I can do all of that stuff again. <laughs> and also oh, we need the twin JJ. sons again for a character it doesn't matter for. Like, um, <laughs> Palpatine's doing the same stuff that Snoke did and yet she doesn't have any of that defiance at this point anyway. Yeah. Maybe because Ben's not there and Ben was in the throne room with Snoke. But again, that's kind of weird. Like, I know they're the dyad, but... It's just I've got a lot of disappointment with how they chose to do things for Ray. Yeah, no, it's a shame. Like, so I think one of the main aspects of Ray that I loved so much in the Last Jedi was that like sense of defiance and bravado that she possessed. You know, like there's all the stuff about her going against Luke's orders and commands and stuff. Whereas in this movie, there's lots of scenes of her just quietly sitting down and listening to their advice and following their orders and stuff. Yes, she's master. nowhere near. Yeah, exactly. She's nowhere near as defiant. And I hate to say it, but I've seen that quite a few of these like trolly YouTubers and stuff. They seem to find the Ray in this movie much less objectionable. Yeah, gee, I wonder why. Also, we don't have Rose and we don't have Holdo. We have Janna, who basically follows Finn around and is like, I'm not leaving you, I'll help you. And we don't have Holdo kicking Poe's butt. Yeah, so exactly. They're not characters who challenge the men, they're characters exactly. who supplement them, basically. Exactly. And yeah, it's a bummer. And But the positive I can say is that it really did make me appreciate The Last Jedi more. 
and everything <laughs> that that movie does. Yeah, but was, I do think yeah. Ray being there at her lowest point is supposed to contrast with Ben Solo showing up. And of course, all of that we love. Oh, yeah, yeah. Him Absolutely. running in with his blaster, shooting the blaster while not looking, very Han, confronting the Knights of Ren, getting beat up, but then her passing that saber to him and the look on her face as she realizes he's there and he's Ben. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. And I think that's one of the rare moments in the movie where the camera work really shines and it's really deliberate and thoughtful and artistically done because you have these like slow pans on both of them where like it goes around until they're absolutely centered in the frame and you see their emotions evolving as the camera pans around them so kylo goes from this like heavy breathing and he's like in the midst of the action and stuff yeah he's like snarling at the nights yeah exactly and then there's this beautiful sense of calm and peace that comes over him when he realizes that he's connected with ray and they're together and with Ray, you see that courage come to her. You know, when she senses Ben, she knows she's not alone, that someone came back for her. And there's obviously a special beauty in that as well. Because in The Last Jedi, Ray puts everything on the line to go to Kylo Ren in the hope of bringing Ben Solo back. And in this movie, Ben Solo puts everything on the line to go to Ray, you know, with no hope of reward or even really success because he's defenseless he doesn't even have a weapon because he threw his weapon away like a noob <laughs> Dumbass yeah solo boy yeah exactly so i think that stuff is all awesome and beautiful you know and it's easy to lose sight of it because there's so much frustrating stuff surrounding it but i do want to give credit where credit's due because i think stuff like that works really well and intersects in a really great way with the other movie i think that's what hurts the most that we mm. we've said before we can see these glimmers of a good movie in here yeah exactly there's genuinely great stuff you could have had this caliber this quality of force bond scene throughout the movie not necessarily before he you know he didn't have to be redeemed but this is the force bond scene of this movie that to me is worthy of what ryan was doing it follows on from that it shows that level of intimacy and trust between these characters and you could have had that the whole way through if you'd focused on that stuff instead of making everything of equal importance but meaning that everything was underdeveloped that's that's what's heartbreaking yeah exactly it's the fact that it's so good in those precious few moments and then it just snatches it away from you (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so then i love ben solo taking out the knights of ren with the skywalker saber i think that's wonderful and that's a great resolution based on him going that saber belongs to me in the force awakens and obviously he wasn't worthy of it then like and so the force chose ray over him but at this point he's completely worthy and he deserves to wield that weapon yeah but ben using that weapon was on my like dream wish list of redeemed ben solo stuff also on the list was ben on the falcon which we did not get (laughs) and it'll always tell me that jj cut that scene from the force awakens because now we don't have it all yeah but (laughs) it's what it is can't have everything yeah at least you got one out of two in that respect (laughs) (laughs) um and yeah i love how he takes them out like the like idiots that they are especially with the whole leap over one of them which is like very silly (laughs) and over the top and yeah he just like slices through them like they're butter and it's very gratifying because it's like yeah these guys aren't important at all (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
And yeah, then I really like how he runs up to Ray and he just like swipes away that like attendant Palpatine, like they're nothing. Yeah. And just that brief look at Ray and how like they both nod basically and then yeah. they turn to face Palpatine. All awesome, awesome stuff. The synchronized saber thing is great. Yeah, and then Palpatine, obviously, he doesn't have any time for to be confronted and defied by these young people like this. So he pushes them to their knees and then, like, absorbs their power from them. And it's, like, goofy. And if you look at the expressions on Daisy and Adams's faces, <laughs> um, like, amidst all the lighting effects, is really funny. But I did see a really good observation slash comparison from Jason Ward at Making Star Wars. But he said it reminded him of a marriage ceremony. You know, where the couple kneel before the altar and there's the priest, like, elevated above them on the stairs. Hmm. And I like that idea. I can buy into that. So, yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty sinister version. It's a very sinister version. And but that's what, that's, yeah. yeah, that's the other thing. Again, of course, we'll talk about it when we get to the final scene. But it's what's so devastating about this narrative because it basically gives Rey a soulmate, which mm. we've seen developed across the trilogy. And then he's snatched away from her. And it's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, you're not allowed to mourn. Yeah, your, your good boy sweater bed solo with his little hole where you stabbed him and healed him. Yeah, and he was so perfect and so beautiful. <sighs> yeah, um, but we'll come back to that in a moment. So I just want to briefly go back to what the hell the Resistance is doing at this point um, because I need to say things about Rose. So yeah, you obviously have the Resistance landing on the ship because they want to take out the navigation tower is this before or after the rest of that fleet showed up and poe was like oh we can't do it guys i'm sorry i think it's before okay because i think the idea is that the rest of the fleet show up at the darkest moment which i think is after rain kylo are knocked out all right yeah and so you have the forces the resistance landing on this on the surface of the ship and then going to take out the tower and I really, really disliked how they framed the interaction between Rose and Finn, like when this whole mission is ongoing. Like I'm mixing up the chronology at this point, so I don't want to talk about the separate sections in depth. It's all a little bit perfunctory to me. Um, but yeah, like they made such a point of having Rose trying to do what she did successfully in The Last Jedi, where they have her be like, come back, Finn, there's transports leaving. It's too dangerous, you know, and he ignores her. And they really make a point of showing that in this case, ignoring Rose is what works and what wins the day, you know, and how dare she care about him? Yeah, exactly. It felt like such a fuck you to the character and to everything that her story was about expressing in The Last Jedi. And yeah, it makes me more furious each time I watch the movie, to be honest. Yeah. If I'm trying to be really generous with it, it's more about them showing how much Finn has grown in terms of doing something that wouldn't necessarily be a suicide run like it was in The Last Jedi. And he's like, no, actually, this is the right choice to make. I know you're concerned about me, but I'm going to do this. Right, yeah. I don't know what their intention is. That's just me trying to like see the other side of it. And well, well maybe that's what they were going for. But the fact that they used Rose, like you say, it's such a pointed contrast from Yeah. what we got in The Last Jedi that it's like, that has to be intentional. Yeah, And that's exactly. one of the few things you do give Rose to do when she's not successful in it. And she's just stood there worrying about someone she cares about. Yeah. Poor Rose. She got so yeah. screwed over in this oh, movie. No, I, I hate her. Like, yeah. you know, even if the rest of the film was perfect, I'd never be able to love it because of what they did to Kelly. Like, yeah. 
exactly and it just makes you think of all that work she did in the promotional trail and all the time she must have known that she had such a greatly reduced role and again she might have been thinking she had a bigger role than she ended up with because we know she shot scenes that weren't used but yeah like she must have been hurting i think and yeah it's gutting yeah that's really sad but yeah then also on the resistance stuff you have poe flying around the x-wing and snap dies snap dies but then also we see Wedge, who is Snap's stepdad, who doesn't like react to it at all. <laughs> so, oh, he was a nuisance anyway. <laughs> no, he doesn't do that. But yeah, there's absolutely no acknowledgement of any relationship there. Um, yeah, I can't say I cared. I've never cared about Snap. Sorry, Snap. Like, Greg Grunberg seems like a lovely guy. You know, nothing against him. But he's just like one of those nothing characters to me where it's like, yep, that's JJ's friend. Sure is putting a role in the movie. They tried to give him a moment with Leia and Rose, but I didn't think that was as funny as it was clearly intended to be. Right, yeah. <laughs> Try to be optimistic. It's like, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah to me, that moment actually cemented the fact that um, Snap's a bit of an ass. <laughs> because he's been so combative and stuff. And I know it's stressful. I know, I understand where you're coming from. But yeah, I was just I don't like you. <laughs> yeah. And then we have the fleet showing up and i i do like the idea of the whole oh they're not a fleet they're just people yeah that was a good line yeah and and it kind of is a resolution of the stuff with poe and zori earlier on where she's like the way they make you feel is like you're gonna lose because you're alone and there are more of us i just wish that had been more of a through line through the movie yes and um also i just don't really guess they had to give lando a hero moment but i don't know why these people showed up for him but not luke leia or poe yeah exactly it would have been so much more powerful if they'd so they could have done it in the opening crawl you know like the luke skywalker's sacrifice has resonated across the galaxy restoring hope in the chances of the resistance to overcome the wicked forces of the first order you know something like that then you know that there is this build-up and support. And then you could have this idea that, yeah, we have lots of support. People aren't quite willing to show up just yet, you know, but we just need one final push, you know. And then Lando going out at the end could be the final push to actually get people to send ships and send help, you know. And then you are making good on what The Last Jedi set up. But, yeah, the film has no time for that. Yeah, and I, to be honest, as much as I enjoyed seeing Lando again, I kind of do wish that that triumph had been Poe's or Finn's because as a larger issue with this film, as the third part of A Coming of Age Story, I really do feel like it's way too beholden to the older generation. Oh yeah, um, 100%. Often, often explicitly when you have Poe like, well, how did you guys win? And and Luke's being the father figure to Rey that feels totally unearned. It's like, we should be way beyond this right now. This is not what Return of the Jedi was like. Yeah. And I just, I can't help but think what this entire trilogy would have been had the older actors not agreed to come back. Yeah. Because I, I think fundamentally it does fail as a coming of age story because you've still got these characters deferring to their elders. In a way that just would not be the case for Luke, Leia and Han. Absolutely, it's true. And that becomes the biggest issue, I think, in the final scene of the movie. But we'll get there. Yeah, but it's not just for Rey. That's what I'm saying. It's for all of these younger characters. I think it fails all of them. Yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like Rey's screwed over in the most prominent way because she's the character with the most attention and she gets the most most of the arc. But in a way, it's almost worse what happens to Poe and Finn because I feel like... 
I'm not even sure they get arcs in this movie. No. Like with Ray, that she definitely they definitely attempt to give her an arc. There's big debates to be have had about the success of their of her arc, but it's there. And with Finn and Poe, I really struggle to. I think Poe gets more of one than Finn. But yeah, I'd agree with not that. Not saying much. Okay, so let's go back to Exegol and our two lovebirds. Um, so yeah, they're unconscious. Kylo stirs first and starts trying to get up, and then Palpatine flings him into a pit, like just out of spite, basically. He's <laughs> like, "Well, <laughs> this is what your granddad did to me." So, <laughs> which I the Skywalkers. I do actually find that quite funny as a sentiment. So I can get behind that. Although watching the scene in the movie is absolutely horrifying to me. That for the longest time, Jedi Paxis was convinced that that was the end of. Ben's character and he was never seen again. Maybe it was. Yeah, can maybe, you maybe imagine? The rest of it is can you imagine? Fuck me. Unfortunately, wow. I can because, yeah. you know, they're really going for it here with the whole, oh, the fall of The Last Skywalker. But the title yeah. of the movie is The Rise of Skywalker. Mm. So uh, actually, it's not the Skywalkers rising, it's this new girl who's going to take their name. And, and that's hopeful, right? Yeah. It's really, really grim. It's like, yeah, there are obviously massive problems of how Ben dies in this movie, but the thought of him never being seen again after being flung into that pit is just beyond insulting to, yeah, to everyone. Yeah, and it's possible that that leaker just didn't know about this these few scenes that were just filmed with Adam and Daisy. But... Of course, yeah. And I just want to believe that was the case, to be honest, because the alternative is almost too horrifying to imagine. Um, yep, and then you have poor Ray, who is like very, like barely conscious, basically. And she opens her eyes and looks up to the stars, and she finally manages to do what she couldn't at the beginning, which is connect with the voices of the dead Jedi. And yeah, they basically give her a pep talk and encourage her to get up. At that point, like Ray is barely able to summon the strength she needs but she does and she uses the lightsabers to deflect the energy from Palpatine and thus by defending herself and like redirecting his energy at him he's destroyed so yeah obviously a lot happens it's like a short time frame but it's big stuff that's happening um how what did you make of how well executed it was that Rey was hearing those voices of the Jedi and what the Jedi was saying um, I'm sorry to keep being negative, but again, I think it's one of those things that means something for the audience and not much to raise a character. Yeah, she doesn't absolutely. show. She doesn't react in terms like there's nothing. Uh, I feel for Daisy because I know she's doing the best she can, but so much of what she's been given means very little for her character. So like, oh, she's hearing these voices that she's never heard before, presumably that. Because you know she was struggling at the beginning. She was like, "Oh, they're not, they're not with me." Yeah. But even when she hears them, like, what does Mace Windu's voice seem to write? <laughs> yeah. Cool. Even Icon Jin. <laughs> yeah, like it's all for the audience. It's all for nostalgia. Yeah, it's and, fan service. Yeah. And yeah, and again, like we were saying, I feel like that "be with me" line would be so better resolved as a a line for her and Ben because that would mean something. Yeah. I think this movie has a chronic problem where it just doesn't give much credence to Ray's desires and Ray's emotions and her experience of things. 
like it really does place a much greater priority on nostalgia and I think that's the aspect of the movie apart from the Rose and Kelly Marie Tran thing which is infuriating like on a real world level the the way that Ray's character is sacrificed like that because of this empty nostalgia that's what upsets me the most about how they told the story I guess that the in in story explanation is that Palpatine's already explained that he's all the Sith and she's all the Jedi and then she says that like I'm all the Jedi yeah again I just that's not what the story has been about yeah it just comes out of nowhere doesn't it and it's not something you introduce in the third movie in the trilogy there's it's just Rey defeating Palpatine and she has no qualms about doing that so where's the moral struggle here where's the weight the only way is that we think Rey might die and we think Ben's dead yeah exactly so that those are the characters we care about (sighs) and yeah like it it, to some extent if you have all of these dead jedi talking to ray right now it it raises the question of why haven't they ever come to ben and why aren't they talking to ben and getting him to rise out of the pit maybe it's possible that they're doing both at the same time but we don't see that yeah that sort of stuff adds to this impression i get from the movie which is that the force is cruel and the force is uncaring in this movie you know ray is basically being used as this vessel and this cipher that the dead jedi are operating through in order to serve their own ends which in this case is to kill palpatine and obviously that's a good thing because palpatine i can understand is... why mace windu would be invested in that yeah of course yeah yeah <laughs> obviously it's a good thing because palpatine is evil and he needs to be destroyed but like they don't care about Rey, yeah. you know. That all they are concerned about is getting her up to her feet and getting her to do this thing. And she literally dies straight after doing it, you know. And they don't care about the fact that this girl is dead. It's purely because of this human love connection that Rey and Ben share that she's brought back to life. You know, the Force wasn't going to do anything about it. It was about the choice that these individuals made for each other, and. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. So basically, like abandoned, and yeah, it's upsetting, really. <laughs> so it is, and obviously within the story, it's like it's moving to us, and we hoped that Ben would make this decision out of selfless love to sacrifice himself for Ray. Of course, we hoped it with the understanding that he would be resurrected afterwards, and it would be a fairy tale ending. That yeah. didn't happen. But even as it does, out of universe, I can. At the most cynical, I'm like thinking of Terio and JJ writing this, and they're essentially using Ben Solo as like an extra battery pack for Ray. Mm, so yeah. like, oh, don't worry. I know she looks dead, but don't worry. He's going to climb out of that pit, and she'll be okay, and then he'll die. She'll be restored to full charge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, and I think it's made worse, really, by the fact that Adam and Daisy do such a fantastic job in their final scenes together. My heart honestly breaks seeing like Ben crawl slash limp across that room to reach her, you know, and holding her in his arms and really seeing that she is dead, you know, dead, 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 eyes yeah. staring into nothing is not ambiguous because Finn also senses her death and she's 100% gone. And there's really like awful heart wrenching details, like the way that he looks around him, you know, after taking her into his arms. Yeah. And he's clearly searching for some sort of help or assistance. And there's nothing there, you know, there's nothing to be found. And just in those few moments, he realises that the only choice there is if he wants to save this girl is that he has to die himself. And 
it's obviously beautiful so it's the ultimate sacrifice that a person could make to give their life for the person they love to live you know and he does that completely happily completely unquestioningly but it's tragic and the another huge problem in this story is that as a tragedy that doesn't acknowledge itself as a tragedy exactly if you're gonna have a tragedy you have to really go for that and allow the audience to have that catharsis yeah they do not let ray suffer yeah exactly and it's heartbreaking and it's the sort of situation where seeing it presented in the way it is i don't get angry with the character because i know like the movie makes it very clear and the performances of the actors make it very clear that ray herself would be absolutely heartbroken by what's <laughs> happened what I don't understand. and destroyed but it's the filmmakers that don't think that's worth showing for baffling reasons they want to have a happy ending but they do it through these tragic circumstances it's like Okay, if you wanted Ben Solo to sacrifice himself for Ray, like, yes, that is a deeply moving story, but there's a tragic element to that that you have to acknowledge, otherwise you are not doing that character justice at all. Yep. And if you, or if you did want the happy ending, you had to bring him back because the whole way through this story, you've emphasized they are two that are one. They are one soul in the force. They are connected forever. Yep. And if you take him away... That's a wound for Ray. So yep. it's okay to do that and acknowledge it that it's a tragedy, but you have to do that and you have to let her mourn and you just don't. Beyond yeah. those couple of seconds where she reacts to him physically leaving, it doesn't happen. Yeah, exactly. So I want to love this scene. I love the way Ben drags himself to her. I love the way he holds her in his arms. They have that hand touch again. There's the kiss, the smile, Adam Driver's dimples yeah she's it's all lovely ben. it's all she great looks, she looks so happy yeah but the pacing of the scene overall is really bad too because then he suddenly falls back to die and i've seen it twice and both times the audience kind of reacted by laughing in a confused way because it was like yeah wait what we just had the kiss this is meant to be happy and then he dies yeah it's just shock i think isn't it it's ridiculously timed so like, i know a lot of people and I totally get and I would have wanted him to live you know I would have much preferred an outcome where he survived but he didn't have to survive for this to work you know like it just needed to be handled with more care and sensitivity have confidence in that story if that's the one you're telling but you can't have it both ways where you have the tragedy of her soulmate dying because that's what you've set up as yep. the story you, you have him say it outright the dyad we haven't seen this for generations they're one in the force and then you take him away and you don't let her react to that. I just don't understand it. Yeah, it's awful. They... And it, it just feels like erasure of her grief and erasure of her desires and what she might want from her life. She straight up told us she wanted to take his hand. Yeah. And honestly, you never see Ray happier in these free movies than when you see her looking at Ben Solo and realising that, yes, this is truly Ben Solo and he has saved me. He brought me back to life. You know, like Ray is never happier than she is in those moments. And then it's just snatched from her and there's no acknowledgement of that. And it's just complete bullshit. <laughs> it's possible that there was a scene here that was cut. But yeah. if it was cut, they decided it, they somehow decided that was unimportant. Yeah. And they're really screwed with this character. I'll tell you what I think might have happened. I think they probably did have a scene where Daisy Ridley was really weeping and really grieving and distressed. Because we know Daisy has spoken in interviews about filming a crying scene that was really intense and really heavy. 
And I think they might have looked at that and been like, this is too much. We want people to leave the movie happy. Well, then why tell that story? <laughs> I know. I know, right? Yeah. But, th- I, but I feel like that would be completely in character for them, oh. you know, based on a lot of what they've been saying, where they're just not willing to face up to the natural consequences and ramifications of their storytelling decisions. You know, that's 100% in character for these people. Well, it's just like so. ultimate cowardice. Like, you've got to have confidence in the story. Otherwise, what are you saying? What was yeah. the point of any of this? Exactly. It's like right now, the only message I get from this story is that the force is cruel and it yeah. takes away the people you love. <laughs> you can only find togetherness in death. Uh, yes, they obviously also have the touch where Leia disappears, like as in her body disappears at the moment that Ben disappears. Mm. And they're obviously trying to provide some comfort by suggesting that they've gone into the afterlife together. Well, that's you know. what the editor said in her interview with the Huffington Post. She said, I like to think that they're together now, but the ending undermines that again, because he's not there. Yeah, exactly. And it's really not all that much comfort because no parent wants to see their child die when they're 30. You know, it's like, yay! we're together in death (laughs) it's yeah it's just so so strange and oh god watching it today you know Maz smiles when Leia disappears and oh my god I was infuriated it's like how dare you smile I want to believe that Maz is just like Leia's finally found peace and and her son has returned that's obviously what they're saying again it's this weird uneasy queasy tonal mix of like you can't decide whether you're telling a tragedy or a comedy here and yeah. it, obviously a bittersweet ending can exist but you need to acknowledge both sides of it and you don't yeah it's like really all you get are glimpses like you obviously have the reunion with ray finn and poe at the resistance base And there's a very brief shot there of Ray's face, like, over Finn's shoulder. And she looks absolutely heartbroken, you know. And I feel like that's a very rare glimpse into how she's actually feeling and her emotional state. But I kind of feel like they really didn't want to dwell on that. So it's literally a few seconds. And the main thing they want us to take away from that is, yay, Ray's back for friends, warm fuzzies. And it's like... The ah. friends that she never shared her deepest desires or concerns with. They never found out about the dyad. Yeah. The friend she was constantly wandering away from. Finn, who when she last saw him, she violently flung him away from her with the force because she didn't want to be bothered by him, etc, etc. Yeah. And obviously we can fill in the gaps with like, well... I guess at some point they'd have a conversation where she'd explain that she was in love with Ben Solo and he redeemed himself and helped save her life. But yes. again, it's not there. So it's not the story they're choosing to tell. It's like at the end when they're like, well, she's not literally going to stay on Tatooine forever. It's like, we know that on one level, but you don't show her getting into the Falcon and leaving for greener pastures. She's there. And that's the end yeah. of the story. Exactly. Like the final image of the Skywalker saga is of Rey alone with a droid looking at the twin sons. And that that's tragic. It's, that is not what Rey wanted. Rey was always dreaming of someone coming back for her, of having a family, of having love, you know. And it would have even been better to have Finn and Poe with her on Tatooine, to be honest. Like just anything, show her with other human beings. 
you know, and I would have still had problems with that because of the aforementioned issues with that whole trio dynamic and the fact that you don't really buy them as having this closeness that the movie seems to think it's created between them. But yeah, it would have still been better than what we get. It just feels so desolate and sad and yeah, poor Ray. Yeah, I think if you, I mean, this was the impression I got from that last scene that it wasn't about Ray at all. It was about Luke and Leia and the legacy fans who were so invested in the original trilogy that the idea of going back to Tatooine would be meaningful for them. Yeah. It's certainly not meaningful to Rey. And yep. it's a return to the desert, which is where she came from and where we wanted her to leave and find a life and belonging herself. Yeah. I don't, I don't know where to start with why this scene sits so badly with me. And I know it's making some fans very happy. Mm. Yep. Because it's meaningful to them, but we were so invested in Ray as a character that I just can't reconcile it. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, just the whole idea that she adopts herself into the Skywalker family when, yeah, she had a good relationship with Leia, but due to the storytelling choices they made, we really didn't get much time with Ray and Leia together, you know. And all of their scenes together in The Rise of Skywalker are recreated scenes that recycle footage. So that immediately makes that feel a bit phony. Ray's relationship with Luke was very antagonistic and they never got along. You know, there was no sense of like a fatherly relationship there. They were like always pitted against one another. So taking their name, like it doesn't feel right at all, basically. And yeah, it's again it, it and it's because it's not a decision that's about ray it's a decision that's about like franchise potential it's a decision that's about serving the nostalgia of the 45 year old men in the audience i don't think it's even necessarily consciously about those 45 year old men in the audience i think it's about chris terrio and jj abrams yeah and how they fit into the demographic and that's why it's so important to have diverse storytellers in the first place oh yeah um I'm going to read this quote from IndieWire. Chris Terrio gave an interview about the scene. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think we think of it as she's going to live there. We thought of it as just paying her respects and sort of undoing the original sin at the end of the third movie, <laughs> which is the separation of the twins. I mean, of course, they had to be separated to keep them safe and the trilogy wouldn't exist. The six movies wouldn't exist if they hadn't been separated. But that felt to us like it was almost like a wrong that needed to be right, need, need to be righted. We were very deliberately in the script described the wrapping of the sabers as like you were wrapping infants. <laughs> That's the thing that you see at the end of the third movie where the two infants are wrapped and one is sent to Tatooine to be a farmer and one is sent to Alderaan to be a princess. Leia's home doesn't exist anymore so we thought, well, Luke could take Leia to his home where he grew up and where we first saw Star Wars. Terrio added, on a meta level, it was our pilgrimage there to pay respects to George and to all the original trilogy had meant to us. But for Rey, it was also a pilgrimage, because she obviously had heard the story of the Skywalkers from Leia, if not from Luke. Her eyes light up in Episode 7 when she hears the name Luke Skywalker, and so we thought it was a fitting end that now she, having become part of the Skywalker legacy, would lay the sabers to rest and lay them to rest together. I really feel like that says everything, doesn't it? I hate it? it so much. I hate that intensely. And... Yeah, like it just shows no engagement with how Ray's grown and changed. Because yeah, she was that like fangirl for the Rebellion era at the start of The Force Awakens. 
that wasn't the summation of her character. That was no. JJ talking through her briefly and just giving a nod to the audience, just like he's doing here. Like, that's yeah. not Ray. Exactly. It was just this minor aspect, and it was not at the core of her being. It didn't dictate what she wanted from life, what her desires were. And that makes, like, the return to a lot of that imagery, like, really, really bizarre, like, as a choice for the end of this movie. And, yeah, they seem so confident about what they've done and what they were hoping to achieve. And this is conceited, but I'd love for Chris Terrio to listen to a podcast like this. And I I think he'd probably be confused by a lot of the, like, interpretations and reads we're getting from it. But... I think that's such a problem because they did such a good job at engaging like this new audience with the sequel trilogy, you know, and making us really feel like we were getting a story that spoke to us and spoke to the experience of being female and the experience of being young and like trying to like navigate this world where there's where there are all these old structures that you need to sort of dismantle and reorganize. And yeah, I just feel like none of that even entered their heads and oh, it's so, so frustrating because they took such different things from the sequel trilogy and what it was meant to be than what many of the viewers did. And yeah, it's just sad. It's devastating because like you, I think that they don't quite understand why so many of us connected to Ray, why we were so starved of a female protagonist, a true female lead, because as much as we love Leia, the story wasn't hers. Yeah. Um, we've tried to recontextualize that over time, just as we've done with Padme, but this was Ray's story. We understood what she wanted, what her belonging was, and it didn't deliver. It yeah. gave it to her for a second and then snatched it away, which is the most cruel thing. Yeah. And then going into this, like, oh, it's a meta moment. It's like, yeah, that's that's what we're aware of. That's the problem. This is not about Ray. This is not what she wanted. It's like she's in a horror movie, but isn't able to express that she's in a horror movie. Yeah. She's got this horrible phony smile on her face as she says, Ray Skywalker. It's like, this is not the coming of age story for a young woman. Yeah. She was not a vessel. This whole trilogy should not have been a vessel for original trilogy nostalgia. They grappled with those ideas and The Last Jedi did most explicitly you know, that was a theme of the trilogy, but we understood it to be that it would be about moving beyond that. And she's trapped there in the desert. Yeah. And it just makes me feel so sorry for her. We know she's going to get back on the Falcon and ride off to her friends, but this is where her story ended. Yeah. Alone, without her force bond mate. Like, I just... The fact that they're even giving these explanations, like, well, it's about Luke and Leia. It's like, yeah, we know. That's what's devastating. We cared about Rey. Yeah, exactly. So it it wouldn't have been great. Like I'd have still had problems, but the whole ambience of that final scene would have been improved if you'd just had the Force Ghost of Ben Solo there as well. You know, have that sense that there's still like a presence of him in her life. You know that they're not like separate in this really permanent way. We can head canon like they can still connect, they can still communicate. You know, even though he's a Force Ghost now. But again, like it doesn't feel like a fundamental part of the story because it wasn't shown and it's left as this labour. Yeah. You go through the trouble of showing Luke and Leia, so it means it has to be like an active choice not to show him. And why is that? Yeah. It's suddenly like that connection didn't matter when of course it did because it was the climax. Yeah. And it just feels like this huge injustice that's done to Ray, to be honest. And 
yeah like if anything it makes me feel even more passionately defensive of the character yeah because same. she's so important to me and i'm not prepared to just let her go you know and just like drop her it's like the thing is the movie does engage with the fact that ray has desires and has all these like broiling emotions and stuff you know it doesn't completely forget that it's not successful at following through with a lot of those things but it does successfully follow through with her love for and desire for ben solo you know and it fulfills that and in a way it might have been better and easier to cope with if they hadn't kissed if there hadn't been that acknowledgement of the fact they loved each other because then at least you wouldn't have the sense of her dealing with this tremendous loss at the end why tell that story at all yeah you could have just had ray ray palpatine turning into ray skywalker and that could have been the trilogy it could have been about all these things that are talking about like her choosing her destiny blah blah but yeah. if you add in the coming of age story of like this is her primary antagonist and they actually develop feelings for each other and then you have them finally express that to each other and they have moments of happiness and then you take it away you have to have the catharsis of the acknowledgement like i've seen people who obviously i understand not everyone loves the idea of Raylo. yeah i've seen people who don't like it say yeah i know ray's unhappy at the end but at least she gets over him dying pretty quickly mm. it's like so that's good for you because you didn't like that element of the story but it was still the story yeah like it's just such a disservice to ray and it's hard because i know that this ending is making some people very happy but i feel and the hardest part actually has been how the fandom has been debating it and falling out and how it's been kind of spun as oh well these fans of the sequel trilogy are now acting like the entitled fans who they've been vilifying all along and it's like there was a promise here that this story was finally for us yeah young female fans who've loved star wars even though it was never really written for us again we had leia but it's not the same as having a a protagonist where the story is about her finding her belonging and that that is kind of promised by those first two movies because that's what you gave us this internality this conflict this connection with someone and then you don't follow through on it and people are going to be upset by that because we finally thought we had this female gaze story of the real heroine's journey we thought we were going to have that in star wars finally and yeah and it's been undermined and like you i'm not going to let it ruin my enjoyment of the first two movies but i will never really understand why they threw it all away at the last second it's like they did not have confidence in ray yeah that breaks my heart exactly and it's especially heartbreaking to me because these are jj's characters you know they should have no greater advocate than jj himself you know so he created finn and poe and ray and kylo ren yet ultimately they do feel like dismissed with and they feel like they're just these accessories and these add-ons to further the myth and the legend of the original trilogy characters you know and that's really difficult to deal with you know because yeah as you said so well Kirsty, these are the heroes for a new generation you know these are the people that this new generation of young people are meant to see as like icons and to have these like profound emotional truths embedded in their stories and yeah it's not unreasonable to want catharsis from star wars you know like and it's not also not unreasonable to want a happy ending you know they didn't necessarily need to give people a happy ending 
they just needed to give people a sense of emotional closure and resolution and they didn't do that and it's just a huge waste so it's a pity that's obviously very like sad and downer sounding so just to be clear i still really love the sequel i i i still really love the sequel trilogy and i will say sequel trilogies like i do not love the rise of skywalker but i have to accept it as this final part of the story so it's an ending to a story and i love the story but i don't love how it ends let's put it that way and really what the rise of skywalker makes me long for and hope for is lots of inspired fan creativity and you never know like in 10 15 20 years maybe one of the people who now is like indignant about what's happened to Rey and how her story's been left maybe that person will become a power player in Hollywood maybe they'll become a scriptwriter maybe they'll become a director and they'll be able to pick that character up and finally conclude her story in a more satisfying and emotionally honest way that actually acknowledges and embraces her feelings and emotions about things you know that would be my dream you know that's a bit of a utopian vision but that's what I'd love for that character because I feel like she deserves to have more of her story told and I would want it to be a story that actually engages with the tragedy that she's experienced and the pain that she's experienced you know like if there were to be another Ray movie and it were just going to be about her being the next Jedi master and not being affected by all the stuff that happened to her in this trilogy that would be really really upsetting to me but if there is going to be another movie or another trilogy that does engage with her wholeness and engage with everything she's experienced then god i want that you know and there's no guarantee we'll ever get that but i know there is a guarantee that fans have been inspired and motivated by what's happened and they have already been creating a shit ton of content and I'm proud of all you guys because I do really, really love this fandom and I love these characters and I think they're worth saving. So keep on fighting for them. That's really the closing line that I want to stick on for now. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you in trying to think positively about it and I've already seen some amazing fan works out of there that are taking what we have with the story but trying to give Ray a resolution beyond this that feels more fitting to what she wanted. But I really have to emphasize, you know, if there are any, especially male listeners listening who still don't quite get what we're complaining about, imagine if you got to the end of Return of the Jedi and instead of seeing Luke happy, allowing him to have that bittersweet goodbye with his father, burying him, taking up the mantle of, I'm I'm now the adult of this, you know, I'm the new generation this was my story imagine if instead you got him complaining about never having gotten to toshi station for his power yeah. converters because that's what they do to ray when they have her slide down that sand dune yeah in in her three buns you even had ryan specifically change her hairstyle to something more mature and jj put her back in the pigtails like that's how absurd it is yeah and it really it denies the little girls watching this, their ending for Ray becoming the adult that they then want to be. Um, it might not hit everyone the same way. I'm, I'm glad if there are people coming out of this feeling happy, but it, it broke our hearts. Yeah. So please try to understand that and please try to be kind to female fans who are grieving this character because it does feel like a betrayal. Yeah, so that's a great note to end on, I think, Kirsty. I could promise that we're gonna 
go back to slightly more normal programming basically in future so there will be news and stuff again and we will talk about the mandalorian and resistance again this obviously isn't going to be the last time we talk about the rise of skywalker I, there is a lot more to say um but yeah we've already said a lot and i feel good about having been able to work through a lot of our feelings and emotions in this format i'd be really happy if anyone listening to this is able to feel a slight sense of catharsis that they maybe didn't feel from the movie itself so i hope it's helpful to people and yeah like i look forward to podcasting about star wars a lot in future because i still love star wars and i especially love these characters so so much and having this conversation has made me realize just how much i love them to be honest yeah i think there's still a lot for us to enjoy there's so much other star wars stuff coming out there's still so much to unpack Next week, we're hoping to talk about Rose Tico because we feel that she was a character who was very important to the sequel trilogy and then obviously was done dirty. So we want to kind of rectify that and address it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's there's still so much to enjoy and celebrate. So that's what we're going to try and do. Exactly. So yeah, thank you so much for listening, guys. And until next time, this is Rachel. You can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr, and we are both Scavengers Horde on Twitter if you want to say hello there. Bye! Bye!